Listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network as we come to you for our first month of the year, our month dedicated to a certain topic where we go over a certain amount of films that we decide are good enough for you, our dear listener, to enjoy us talking about. And we are back for Australia v Canada month, the month that we started last year that set the world on fire. We got <laughs> No messages about it. But, hey, we thought you probably enjoyed it. Lad Undercover, I don't know if you watched it or listened to us, but, hey, you'll probably let us know in about six months. So uh, we're back to do it again where we go over two iconic Australian films and two iconic Canadian films that we feel need to be talked about because I'm Australian and the other one's Canadian. So that's generally how it works. We're here to talk about... The, I believe the newest film on our list this month and uh, a movie that I feel is so underappreciated. I, I don't think it really caused much of a stir in Australia. I think it sort of came out in movies. People went, oh, yeah, that was there. And then they just forgot about it. And here we are three years later and people have still forgotten about it. 2018 Swinging Safari, a movie that I actually did a solo review on on this podcast a couple of years ago. I completely forgot that I did that. <laughs> uh, starring everybody's favourite Australian actors, including Kylie Minogue. <laughs> and Guy Pearce and Julian McMahon. That's basically what sold me in seeing this movie and a bunch of other great Australian actors too. But I'm so Lars. I'm so looking forward. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Owen Lars' dad. Um, I am so looking forward to finding out what my co-host thinks of this movie because the one time I showed this to a Canadian, they didn't get it and they didn't <laughs> like it. So we're going to see what happens here today. My name is Ben, and it's not fucking on the beach. It's on the fucking beach, and stop fucking swearing. <laughs> and my name is Colin, and I'm not saying that I don't like this movie, but what is this movie? <laughs> oh, wow. God. This is Australia, Colin. This is Australia. Uh, <laughs> you know that movie, Australia, with Welcome to Australia? This yeah. movie should have been shown instead because I'm telling you now, this must be an Australian thing that I can sit and watch this and just get. I didn't grow up in the 70s, but I get this movie. This movie's like such a brilliant satire on Australia uh, and our suburban stupid ways. Uh, it reminded me of my parents, mainly my mum, because my mum grew up in suburban. A swinger? Well, she grew up in suburban <laughs> beach suburbs of Sydney. Um, there's. There's a very iconic Australian book called Puberty Blues, um, which is essentially a coming-of-age uh, story of girls living in a suburban Sydney beachside town. And it was actually written by an author who went to the same school as my mum, so it was basically set at my mum's school. And this woman was like a year or two, I think, younger than my mum. So my mum used to say, like, Puberty Blues, like, that was my childhood. They made a TV series of it, and I watched it with that in mind. And thought, oh, great, I didn't need to think about this about my mum, but cool. Uh, good to see this is what happened in the 70s. So this movie, to me, is kind of like a warped version of Puberty Blues with just a lot more satire, a lot more silliness. Um, but I remember seeing this at movies, and I like I was sold purely on Julian McMahon and Kylie Minogue, literally sold. I was like, boom, I'm there. I'm seeing it because of those two. I saw the trailer. It looked like a blast, and I left the cinema I remember going, wow, that movie was great um, and loved it ever since. And I regretted not showing this in our first year. I completely forgot about this last year to show it. But, um, yeah, I'm so intrigued, Colin. You don't know what's going on in this movie, but please tell me you at least got some enjoyment out of it. Uh, 
I'm, I'm going to reserve my opinions to the end because I'm not entirely sure I know how I feel about this movie. Um, <laughs> but I will say, I, I get, there's certain things I think in this movie that cross cultural boundaries. We found last year, one of the most interesting things last year was being able to pick apart not what's different culturally between Australia and Canada, but what's different in the filmmaking styles. There was a very distinct Australian style of humor that I wasn't familiar with when we watched The Castle. There's a very distinct Canadian humor style of Bon Cop, Bad Cop, and Men with Brooms that you weren't familiar with. I feel like this is more universal as far as the style of humor. Um, but more than anything, there are some things. The recklessness of uh, ages gone by, I think, is something that uh, anybody born pre, let's just say pre-1990 can identify with. There's a lot of these memes going around. Uh, well, I'm sure you've seen some of them. Bringing back, oh, remember this? And, you know, it'll be... The the, um, the the slides, the metal slides are one yep. of the big ones that I have memories of. Yeah, like, me too. Yep. Hot summer day metal slides burning uh, or metal seat belts and things like that. If you have seat belts at all, yep. uh, all these things where you grow up and you're like, yeah, you know, like whoever thought this was a good idea. Uh, and then just, you know, growing up in a different age, which, you know, we both both grew up pre, uh, <laughs> I guess, when when 12 years old and under were allowed to play outside by themselves. Let's just say that. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of recklessness, I think, that goes on in any of these ages. Now, this is definitely more extreme than what I remember from the 80s and 90s. Uh, but a lot of the stuff I really enjoyed about this is like, oh, yeah, it is crazy that some of this stuff used to be normal. Uh, this movie does lose me quite a bit in, I'm not, I'm, I don't even say tonal shifts with it, but we just reviewed wonder woman 1984 and, and i said quite a few times in that like i don't understand what they were going for what was the point of this and i feel like this movie with each act it seems to change what the point is with it until it gets to the third act where i'm not entirely sure they know what the point of the movie is and maybe that's the point of the movie i don't know but uh there is a lot to like in this movie there's also a lot to really scratch your head about yeah i think when you watch it like i definitely like there's not really a plot to this movie um <laughs> it's just kind of there and um, the director, Stephen Elliott, of course, uh, many people are probably best know him from Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which, you mm. know, when it comes to iconic Australian films, that will be one that we will definitely do. I've, I will admit I've never seen Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I am that Australian who has never seen it. But that and Muriel's Wedding came out basically at the same time. And that did things for Australian cinema that I don't think has ever done anything since Crocodile Dundee. They were both huge movies. But Stephen Elliott basically has come out and said that this is basically an autobiography of his life growing up. Um, so that's <laughs> kind of where I think he's just maybe just going, ah, fuck it, I don't care, this is going to be fun. Um, and I think kind of just what I take out of this movie is, you know, again, I didn't grow up in the 70s, but like just that beach culture of Australia, like I definitely understand a lot of it and I didn't live in the most super sunniest spot in Australia, but we still kind of have it enough. Um, all the references to iconic Australian products. There's moments where it's like every Australian will know that like putting an ice cream bucket on your head going to school and things like that, just like little things like blue bottles, <laughs> just all these little silly things that you're like, oh yeah. And they just kind of take it and take turn it up like a notch to 100. It's, it's like I think we talked a lot in the castle about something like Kath and Kim, you know, like this is what Australians do best. We satire ourselves and the, our way of life. And this is on the same vein to me as Kath and Kim, where you take a suburban aspect of it and just turn it up to a hundred and just absolutely go over the top. And the, the sad thing is even with this movie, again, 
didn't grow up in the 70s, didn't know anything about the 70s. But, like, I can honestly look at characters in this movie and go, oh, I know somebody like that. I know somebody like that. Mm. Like, I definitely know how that kind of works out and everything on those lines. So whether it has a plot or not, like, I don't know, maybe this is just an Australian thing where I can enjoy it and maybe this is a thing where I'm going to learn from you. Like, okay, um, so why do you wear an ice cream thing on your head? (laughs) And (laughs) what's the deal with chlorine and things like that? So, yeah. Uh, the, the thing about the culture that you mentioned that the beach culture, I guess, you know, again, something that's completely foreign to me, uh, a beach in Manitoba is you drive two hours to, uh, kind of a dull looking lake, uh, <laughs> in the middle of the province. Yeah. Canadians um, don't know the meaning of even here in BC, the, the Florida of, uh, of Canada, like the beaches I've seen, I've, I've only seen one with actual sand, like that, gravel yeah. is not a beach Canada. Yeah. Well, that, that's Manitoba. We have, I think, uh, one or two. Uh, sand beaches here again they're lakes it, we have t- we have a ton of lakes in manitoba like you don't have to go far to find a lake but it is primarily gravel if there's even much of that at all and then uh if you get one with sand they ship the sand in from somewhere you know <laughs> so probably got needles in it as well uh but <laughs> uh, interesting how you, you mentioned like the beach culture this being something that like a lot of people would identify with because I feel like that's similar to something that we briefly talked about and teasing this at the end of the Wonder Woman episode that you, you said you'd finally seen the, the Canadian TV show Corner Gas, mm. which is without question the biggest Canadian sitcom of all time. I mean, if you were to ask most Canadians what their favorite sitcoms of all time is, Corner Gas would be ranked up there with Seinfeld, you know, and and Cheers and Friends. I mean, it's that big here. Uh, but I've always said that anybody who's lived in a small town in Canada gets Corner Gas that much more. Uh, so I, I, I can definitely see how there is some things in this that I was really scratching my head at that is probably considered normal for people who grew up like this. The same way if somebody were to watch Corner Gas here, they wouldn't get half the jokes. They wouldn't realize half the things are jokes. There are parts in my notes where I'm just like, I don't understand if this is a joke or not. Did I blink during a part of the movie? Am I missing something that they clearly established? Was the accent too strong? I don't know. <laughs> Have you seen Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? Uh, you know, I, I've never seen the movie. It's one of these things that it was on maybe, uh, let's say 15, tw- no, 20 years. It'll have to be 20 years ago because I knew who Guy Pierce was. I knew who Hugo Weaving was. I uh, obviously knew who Terrence Stamp was. And I heard that this movie existed. It was on TV once. And I tuned in for about 10 minutes just out of morbid curiosity. I'm like, <laughs> Guy Pierce, Terrence Stamp, and Hugo Weaving are drag queens? Yep. Uh, I have to at least see this. So I've seen about 10 minutes of the movie. Not Not compelled enough. To watch anymore i'm sure it's great i mean it's got a huge cult following but that that sells itself it, guy pierce is interesting for me because he's the thing that i think um i associate most with australia as far as like the big crossover actors because you get these giant movie stars like hugh jackman like if you want to consider russell crowe uh nicole kidman uh any of those tandy newton even right not even like massive but these other australian actors they leave australia for america and they sort of never come back and Guy Pierce is this one guy that, you know, I'm a big enough fan of because of LA Confidential and uh, a lot of movies he made around that time period, like Ravenous is, uh, you know, guilty pleasure of mine, that he will always go back to Australia. It seems like he alternates. I'll do a movie in America, I'll do a movie in Australia. So there are a lot of his Australian movies that I've gone out of my way to watch or even just, you know, uh, put it on my list. Okay, I eventually have to watch this just because I'm a big enough Guy Pierce fan. I, I think that's the right way to do it too. And there's a couple of Canadian actors who do the same thing. They're like, I'll, I'll go back and forth between Canada and America. Uh, but this isn't the first Australian movie I've seen with Guy Pierce. But connecting Priscilla Queen the Desert in this, it was always weird for me to think of Guy Pierce as like this 
really over the top comic actor. And the only thing I think I ever really saw him in, in a, a flat out comedy prior to this was uh, the Adam Sandler one he did was a bedtime stories. I think was the, yes, he wasn't in funny people. No, that was Eric Banner. Yeah. It was one of those Adam Sandler movies mm. he was in. I think it was bedtime stories, uh, but it was just weird for me to see him. Like, he's actually really funny. Like, why does he play it so straight all the time? But Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's more of an Australian thing. I mean, does he do much of comedy in Australia? Is he known as a comic guy? Uh, look, I, the thing that he really, like, Priscilla Queen of the Desert was huge. So I think kind of he his real breakout was that, although he was pretty big in Neighbours from what I, again, a little bit before my time. But um, I think the thing to me that really he all of a sudden became a big thing was when he was in LA Confidential because mm. he at one point was kind of, Australia's next big thing like you know I think we've talked about before how nowadays there's so many Australians you can just basically point and there's one in Hollywood whereas like back remember I was growing up like Nicole Kidman uh, and Mel Gibson were like the the biggest things ever and then all Mm. of a sudden uh, Russell Crowe became a thing Um, but Guy Pearce was kind of on that same because they're like confidential when him and Russell Crowe were in it it was like wow like look at this Hollywood Hollywood Um, so I don't know really like I always kind of associate Guy Pearce with dramas um, outside mm-hmm. of Priscilla, so I I I would say no. Guy Pearce is kind of the an- anomaly to me in the Australian actors because it's not like we don't know he's a thing, but it's kind of like he just disappeared in the crowd once Hugh Jackman became mm. a thing and Heath Ledger became a thing and Chris Hemsworth. Like everyone, just every now and then he'll be in a movie like, oh yeah, Guy Pearce. Um, like he's not one yeah. that Australia celebrates as much as our beloved Nicole and our beloved Kate and, you know, sort of those ones. Now it's Margot. It's kind of, yeah. And fucking Rebel Wilson. Stop making that a thing. <laughs> um, so to answer your question, no, I, I personally associate, associate him much more as a dramatic actor. Uh, more dramatic than they are. Um, what was the one he did with uh, Helena Bottom Carter? That was like really dramatic. Oh, was that uh, Memento? Not Memento. No. Till human voices wake us. That's oh, the right. one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and then another one he made in Australia, The Hard Word. I remember mm. watching uh, like a long time ago. I mean, this is after you know he had gone on this huge Hollywood run with Memento and Count of Monte Cristo and um, The Time Machine, which is another one of my favorites. So I was I saw this movie, The Hard Word. I'm like, oh, I got to check this movie out. Uh, and loved him. Very charismatic in that one. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's interesting because. Um, one thing that always seemed to happen is uh, growing up, my brother and I would watch a movie. And if you had maybe two lesser known actors in the movie, we always took different positions. We would always be like, Oh, I think this guy's going to be a bigger star. And the other one would be like, no, no, I think this guy's going to be a bigger star. And that sort of started around LA confidential. I remember us watching it and I said, okay, this Russell Crowe guy is going to be a massive movie star. And he said, no, I think it's going to be guy Pierce. Uh, and really what happened, I mean, Russell Crowe became the massive movie star, but Guy Pierce is probably still the respected actor of those two. If you run through Guy Pierce's filmography, he's never been nominated for an Academy Award like Russell Crowe has, but there's so many movies he's made in performances where people just think that like, this guy's the greatest thing, you know, to ever come out of Australia, but yeah, he doesn't get that same acclaim, mm. uh, which is weird because you got Russell Crowe has been nominated for three, four Academy Awards. And yet you'd be hard-pressed to, I think, find anybody who would say Russell Crowe's a better actor than Guy Pearce. Well, it, it, to me, Guy Pearce is like the the male Tony Collette in that Tony Collette is very similar that we kind of forget she's a thing, but she's got an amazing filmography. She did that yeah. horror movie recently that basically a lot of people say she should have oh, yeah. won an Oscar for it, basically. And it's interesting because they kind of both had their breakout roles in 94, like with Muriel's Wedding, Tony Collette was a star of that, and then Guy Pearce is in this. 
And then, I mean, I love Tony Collette. She just, she's just one of these ones that I, again, seen. Oh, wow, I love her. Like, she's great. Um, so I, I kind of equate those two as the same uh, in many aspects because, you know, then you look at, say, Russell Crowe. Uh, I mean, Nicole Kimmon had been around a bit longer than Tony Collette. So she's kind of, what, the 80s, basically, BMX bandits days. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, marrying Tom Cruise probably helps a little bit with that superstardom <laughs> as well. But, um, yeah, it's interesting, Australia's actors. Um, but I, I, I do appreciate it. I think you talked a lot about how they come back and do Canadian films for Canadian actors. Like, this mm. one to me is is one of those ones where, like, you've got these biggish names who have come back, and, yeah, bugger, I'm going to do an Australian movie. Like, Kylie Minogue, basically, like, she acts. She was started off as an actor before she became a singer and then kind of avoided acting for a long time. I mean, if you've seen Street Fighter, you'll see why. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she kind of didn't do a lot of acting. And then I think I was reading an interview with her where she was, like, sent this script, and she was like, oh, yeah, kind of that seems a bit of fun, and it gives me an excuse to come back to Australia because she doesn't really come back to Australia anymore. And then someone like Julian McMahon, who hasn't lived in Australia for a long time, he's all but lost his accent. Um, so for him to do this, like, I think the last time he would have done anything Australian, he did a shark movie, I think, uh, a few years before this, like I, from memory, it's like people are stuck in a shopping center on the gold coast and a, a tsunami hits and all these sharks are in the shopping center and they can't get out. Uh, that sounds I'm, like a great movie. I, well, I've not seen it and I wanted to see it because like it actually sounds epic. And like Julian McMahon's one of these guys who I love him so much from Nip Tuck that I, I kind of will watch him in anything. Uh, when I, Bait, Bait is the name of the movie. Um, so, yeah, like, I mean, having said that, I don't watch FBI Most Wanted. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Although I'm kind of tempted because Amy Carlson and uh, Terry O'Quinn, I think, have just joined the cast. So, you know, you've got Nip Tuck, Third Watch and Lost all in the cast. <laughs> so maybe. But, um, yeah, like, I don't think Julian McMahon had done much in Australia outside of, of bait and this uh, since he was probably in Home and Away because I think he basically just left. He was just basically like, ah, oh, no, screw that. I'm not doing anything to do with Australia. And he's he's definitely an actor that no one in Australia, I think, talks about. And this is the son of a prime minister. Julian McMahon yeah, is that's Justin crazy. Trudeau of this movie. <laughs> like, his dad was uh, a quite a famous prime minister. So, um, yeah, it's... It's interesting. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I've talked to you much about Julian McMahon. Maybe in our Bond episodes, but have, have you seen him in much? I don't know if you're much of a, a charmed fan. Um, <laughs> or... uh, now you're going to hate me for saying this, but uh, my exposure to Julian McMahon started with Nip Tuck when that show first came out. I checked the show out once and thought it was like the worst thing I'd ever seen. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's better than I give it credit for. I mean, I was maybe too young to really get it at the time, uh, but. Um, I don't remember liking anything about that show. I remember between the two guys in that show thinking Julia McMahon was the worst one between oh, them. Uh, but then the Fantastic Four movie, which I think oh, of course. It's, about <laughs> it's it's goofy, you know, not it came out maybe a decade too late in the mid-90s. People would have thought it was a great superhero movie. Uh, I'm a bit of a defender of the Fantastic Four because I think it just embraces being just a brainless superhero movie for kids. Uh, he is the best thing in that movie. Uh, like, there's no question about it. Both of those movies, he is amazing. So he really sold me when he was uh, Dr. Doom in the Fantastic Four movies. And it just seemed like he dropped off the face of the planet after. Like, he seemed prime for a movie career. He has the look of a movie star. He obviously has some talent. Uh, and even if you look through his filmography, he just seemed to, I guess, wash away into uh, other short-lived TV shows. Like, everything he's doing here is just TV in the last 10 years. 
Yeah, we, we Nick and I talked so much on on our Nip Tap episodes about how so many of these actors in the show are great and they kind of haven't done anything. Um, you know, even Dylan Walsh I think is fantastic, and now he's stuck as the mayor on Blue Bloods. Sure, um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, you're right with Julian because like, I mean, you think about those early two thousands. You know, he was on Nip Tap, which at the time was one of the biggest shows on TV. He was nominated for a Golden Globe for that show. That went on to win the Golden Globe for Best Drama. He was on Fantastic Four. He basically was in line to be James Bond. I mean, everything mm-hmm. about him was going well. And I, I did watch a video recently. It was kind of like top 10 actors who, you know, had a role but didn't live up to expectations. And they basically put Julian McMahon on that list as being bad as Dr. Doom, that this was what killed his career. That's what they were claiming. Oh, that no. kind of he was so bad that people overlooked him from that point on. So, you know, I it's been a long time since I've seen Fantastic Four movies and I do remember weirdly enjoying them, kind of like you. Um, yeah. And I don't like Jessica Alba, so kind of that sort of was weird. But, um, yeah, I remember... And even the show he did in the 90s, Profiler, I vaguely remember Profiler looking at the filmography. I think we've talked a bit about that on Nip Tuck. But I will say I love him in this movie. He's just so over-the-top Australian. Like, it's just ridiculously, like, the most Australian one in this. Um, and the other actors, like... And Kylie Minogue, like... I read a review of this saying, like, Kylie Minogue has nothing to do. But I kind of appreciate that they kind of give her this sort of mousy kind of nothing role because I think when you've got someone like Kylie Minogue, you're going to expect they're going to get the bevy of attention. I said to you off air that I watched A League of Their Own the other night and I remember watching that with Mallory going like, gee, I think they are kind of living up a little bit too much to Madonna stereotype at this point. Like, oh, she's the hussy (laughs) and she's this and she's that. Oh, how Madonna of them. Um, Whereas this, they could have done that with Kylie Minogue and they just kind of put her there. She's just, you know, and I like it. And the other actors in this movie too. So um, Jeremy Sims, who is sort of the one who is the umbrella fear and he's the one who kind of chickens out in in uh, the swingers part. He's kind of renowned as just a... He's been in a lot of Australian TV shows, a lot of Australian films. I think he might have tried to do some American stuff. I can't really remember. But he's pretty well regarded in Australia. And the the blonde one who is married to um, to Jeremy Sims, the one I'm just talking about, mm-hmm. Asha Ketty, uh, for a period there in the 2010, she was the biggest TV star in Australia. There was a show called uh, Offspring, which was huge. Like this was like, it was kind of like a Grey's Anatomy kind of medical, but like comedy. I I hated it and I did not like her. I did not like that show. My mum loved that show, but it was huge. Like there was a death of a main character that was like breaking news in Australia. Like they killed off this guy in this show and everyone's in shock. Um, And I actually like her in this film. Like she's a big star in Australia. And then the wife of, um, Julian McMahon. I've definitely seen her in things. Uh, Rada Mitchell. Uh, I she, would yeah, ha- she has a pretty big filmography. Um, yeah. Like horror movies primarily. But yeah, oh, yeah like Pitch Silent Black. Hill movies. Finding Neverland. Pitch Black, yeah. Man on Fire. Phone Booth. Oh, that's a movie I love. Um, but I've definitely seen her in things and she's great in this film too. So, um, and one thing I will say right now, and I remember talking about this in the review, the kids in this movie are fantastic. Like... This is, I think, what helps this movie is that you've got a very large child cast and none of them are crap. Like, they're actually yeah. brilliant. The two main kids in this film are fantastic. So They make um, the movie for me. Yeah, absolutely. And also, as you mentioned, uh, Mr. Lars, uh, Jack Thompson himself, the mayor, yeah. probably <laughs> one of the most iconic Australian actors of all time, Jack Thompson. And did you know who the narrator was or did you have to look him up? 
Uh, I had to, well, I recognized the voice and then I didn't think anything of it. And then when I was reading up on the movie, I'm like, oh, Richard Roxburgh. Yep, there it is. Um, we talked about him in Mission Impossible, I believe, from memory. Yeah. But um, I think I mentioned that, like Rake, he was huge in that TV show, Rake in Australia, Moulin Rouge, uh, so many things that uh, Richard Roxburgh has done. He's just one of these very underrated Australian actors that, um, you know, gets love when all of a sudden people realize how fucking good he is. So I, I'm a big Richard Roxburgh fan. Um, but I think we should get into this. Uh, we've taken 23 minutes to basically talk about the <laughs> opening swinging safari. We've talked more about this movie than anyone has at all in Australia. Because um, I'll just say this right now, <laughs> this, this didn't make any waves in Australia. This, like, barely rippled. <laughs> I had to go see it at, like, the, the, the little cinema in Hobart, like the art house cinema. It didn't even get, like, a mm. wide release. <laughs> so, and I think there was two people in the cinema from memory when I saw this. Wow. So um, there you go. Uh, so uh, I don't feel bad about picking Treed Murray now, a movie yeah. that can only be found on YouTube. <laughs> also, can I just say, you mentioned? I think you mentioned in your list of Australian actors, you said Tandy Newton. She's English, Colin. She's not Australian. She's Australian, isn't she? No. She got her start making movies with Nicole Kidman, though, didn't we, she? We don't have non-white people in Australia. You know that, Colin. We're racist. <laughs> Um, I, I thought the whole point of them casting her uh, in Mission Impossible was because she was Australian, but no, there you go. No, she's not Australian. Okay, well, she's better than most of you Australians. She is. She's way she better. Did... I wish she was Australian. Didn't she also do the slap? What is uh, her fascination the American with Australia? Version. Didn't she do the American version of the slap? I thought it was the... Um, no, because the... Melissa George was in the Australian, like the original. Well, Melissa George played the same role in both, but oh, yeah, I maybe I'm wrong. I those two shows blend together. Melissa George is somebody we've disowned as an Australian. Uh, she, she, <laughs> oh, like, have, sad. Have we talked? I, I don't mind Melissa George, but like I, I've probably talked about this before. Stop me if I have. She came back and did like an interview on like our one of our shows, and she was on the network because uh, I, I knew Melissa George. She was like one of the biggest stars in Home and Away when I started watching it. She was like one of the main stars, and um, basically she came back, did this interview for some movie. And they started talking to her about a home and away days. And she got like really like, oh, no, I don't want to talk about this. And she apparently stormed off set. So it was like a huge, big controversy in Australia. Like, Melissa George forgets her roots and doesn't want to talk about being in Australian shows. And I was like, fuck you, Melissa George. Like, you were good in home and away. <laughs> now you're like, you're too good for it. <laughs> so anyway, um, so this movie starts off with some home videos of the 70s. Basically, this movie is set in the 70s, people. And it's all about uh, how reckless and stupid Australians were as children and how you could get away with everything. Um, there's a lot to, to digest in the, the quotes. I've written more notes in this movie than I've written in a long time. For our, I usually, I've read less notes, but that's partly because I didn't understand half of it. <laughs> well, you, usually like I, I don't write many notes anymore. and I just flick through the movie while I'm doing the, you know, going through it. But I felt like there was a lot in this one that I kind of felt like, okay, Colin's not going to get this or this isn't going to get it. So... I like the opening line when they've got, I wonder what all the poor people are doing today. <laughs> They're on the beach. And this is kind of just like beach culture, Australians on the beach, getting sun. And what did they say at one point? Like This is a time before agoraphobia, political correctness, and skin cancer. Um, <laughs> so, so you see like baby oil being used. I don't know. Again, you don't have beach culture in Canada. I'm sure you still tan. But like this is a thing that people use, baby oil to get a tan. I remember as a teenager, my friends using baby oil, but we live in Australia. We're very close to the ozone hole. Skin cancer, I think we have the most rates of skin cancer anywhere in the world. 
Um, so this is, and like you were educated as a child. Our big campaign was slip, slop, slap. It's like, uh, what is it? Slap on some sunscreen, slip on a t-shirt and slop on, no, slop on sunscreen, slap on a hat. That was like, you had like a bird and you in school, you learned, that was what you learned, right? Cause you don't want to get skin cancer. So this is basically <laughs> cover the baby. In oil. What does the character say? Like, Oh, good enough to put in the oven. <laughs> Just so funny. Um, you meet each of the families, and I think one thing I'll say: all the families kind of blend. Could I tell you the name of each of the families? No. Could I remember? I have who, no idea. Could I remember which kids are whose? No. Um, all I remember is Guy Pierce is in one family. Kylie Minogue is in one family. Well, she's with Guy Pierce. Julie McMahon is in another, and then Terry Sims is in the other with Asha Ketty. So kind of. The, apparently, also I was reading the trivia that they initially wanted to have five families, but Guy Pierce apparently was like, "Oh, that's a bit too many." So um, let's not. Also, this movie was actually meant to be called Flammable Children. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now I would have, I would have seen that movie before you did. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, basically um, they were very adamant of not changing because initially uh, the the fear was Stephen Elliott said that they thought people would think it was a horror movie, but he stuck to his guns and was like, no, like we are calling this. I don't care what people say. But then there was that big fire in the UK that like burnt a, a, a an apartment block and a lot of children died. So he kind of caved last minute. And there's still some promotional material out there where it's called Flammable Children, which at the end of the day, though, I think Swinging Safari works as a better title, in my opinion. I don't know about you, but um, yeah, I I definitely think it works as a better. The style of movie is so much more around, I think, that. Um, We're introduced to each of the families here. So Guy Pearce is an encyclopedia salesman. Now, was this a Canadian thing? Did you guys have encyclopedia salespeople? No, okay. not that I remember. I remember I, us getting encyclopedias as a kid, but it was like a mail order thing. It wasn't like somebody shows up at your door. We also had it at supermarkets. You would go to the supermarket and then each week you'd have letter B, now available. Um, and uh. it was Funk and Wagnalls. That was the brand. And I remember as a kid, we had the <laughs> Funk and Wagnalls encyclopedia on the shelf. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm so glad you said that's a real thing because yeah. I made notes on it. I'm like, what's a Funk and Wagger? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand what he was saying. I'm like, is this a joke in the movie? But no, not even supposed to be no, funny. Funk and Wagnalls is. I a got a laugh thing. out of that. This yeah. this movie was going for a straight joke, and I laughed. Or but I think not it's, going for a joke. It's it's definitely the nostalgia bait though, because like I don't know if they exist anymore. But like as soon as they say that, you're like, oh yeah, Funk and Wagnalls. I remember that. Um, but like all the things they're doing on the beach here. So they've got the like cheesy beach chairs, the umbrellas, which becomes a bit of a joke in there. They've got like the colorful little sippy cups. You've got the wine in a um, bag, which we call a goon bag in Australia. So I kind of love the fact that they've got that. The the Now, I, again, I'm a lot old, a lot younger than this. I wasn't there, but like I do remember like looking at these sort of history videos that when KFC came to Australia, it was a big thing. Like everybody just ordered the chicken buckets and would take it to the beach. So, and you've got here that what do you get like a bucket of chicken and you get a long board or something like that with the KFC logo on it. Um, okay, that answers one of my many questions about this movie because one of the first question marks I have in my notes is how did the KFC logo end up on this girl's chest? I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to visualize. I'm like, did, again, did I miss something? This movie goes by so quickly. Like the pace is oh, almost yeah. chaotic. Yeah. A- and I was envisioning, I'm like, so one of the buckets was empty 
and she was lying down on it, but the board was so hot it seared it into her chest. Like it didn't make sense to me. So well, this I is think, supposed to be a real board. But that, but also the joke here on the beach is just, is the searing hot sun, right? So like this is yeah. again a legitimate. Oh, they're frying an egg on something at one yeah. point. And like I, I legitimately as a kid would get an egg and put it on our like concrete at our house, and it wouldn't like fry it, but like it would the edges of it would be cooked. Um, like, and again, I'm in Hobart, so it's not the hottest place in Australia, but like you would do things like this and like you would be this hot in Australia because that's just, it's the same as your freezing cold in Canada, right? Like that's kind of your, uh, your ongoing thing that you know there. But, um, like this, just the the beach setting up and the blue bottles. So basically blue bottles, uh, our version of the Portuguese man of war, right? Like they, they kind of do a bit of creative licensing here where it's just like, oh, I've stepped on a blue bottle. Oh, I'll pee on you. Like. Blue bottles can pretty much kill you fairly quickly. Um, like they're pretty deadly. Um, and I've been to beaches in Australia and you see them and it's like you've got all the signs, warning, warning, don't go near them. But I just love this ongoing joke of this little dumb girl who's just constantly getting stuck by blue um, it's oh, so funny. They the really claw- miss having they miss Jack Thompson peeing on her though. That's oh, what I really wanted to see. Yes. Now, um, you obviously have swimming pools in Canada. Like, do you get the whole, the whole chlorine thing? Is that a thing oh, that yeah. you get? Yeah. Do you yeah. have the? Did you ever have the? Um, so there's a bit here where they show and they get green hair. Do you get that reference? Uh, no, I, it, it sounded vaguely familiar, like something that people talked about once. But I mean, we had a couple pools as a kid, and I don't remember green hair. It's if you bleach your hair, bleach mixes with the chlorine and you get green hair. So, like, as a teenager, ah. I would bleach blonde my hair and then I would go to the swimming pool and the people at the pool were like, how long ago did you do your hair? And you'd be like, oh, two weeks ago. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> they would legitimately warn because oh, really? if, you, if you do it within a day, your hair turns green. Like, it's a thing. Um, and like That explains why my, my mom never swam in our pool. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think like Because um, I love the way They overabundance the chlorine Because I think That's just an Australian thing Just like Ah I fucking put chlorine in it You go to pools <laughs> here And like There'd be more chlorine in it Than water You'd be like ah, 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 Like it was just It was ridiculous um, So Guy PSL's Encyclopedias Kylie Minogue's uh, A drunken agrophobe Who doesn't want to leave the house There was apparently A whole other storyline Which they deleted scenes Where you get a couple of references To her like Using dildos And porn the, the whole subplot here is that she's completely addicted to porn and just constantly lays in bed using dildos. But they apparently cut it out. And the director had to do a lot of convincing to Kylie Minogue to do this. And then they apparently completely cut it out of the film. So um, those of you who wanted to see Kylie Minogue use dildos, hands up. And uh, we never got to see it. And Colin, a dildo is a sex toy. Uh, <laughs> it's not a bunny rabbit Jamie just got in the mail, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, just speaking of things, random things, I just got some breaking news here, Colin. Tanya Roberts has apparently died. So, Oh, you know what? I saw a note on that too. Uh, oh, that's sad. Uh, oh, actually, hang on. No, she's alive. Hang on. Sorry. She will we'll check on that. Lying, kicking. Wow. Don't yeah. know what's happening with that Updates one. Updates still to come throughout 2021. <laughs> <laughs> but as you said, the pace of this is really fast. And when we're meeting all the families here, like we basically, so Julie McMahon's family, like they're the, the big dogs. They're the rich family. They're the one who's got the, uh, the girl, the main star. And... <laughs> We don't know the names of people in this movie, people. We just <laughs> call it the main girl and the main guy. Um, ba- basically, this girl was based on a real-life friend of uh, Stephen Elliott's uh, growing up. Again, very similar to apparently what happened in real life. Uh, and then the main boy, who is the son of Asher Keddy and Jeremy Sims, 
he's the filmmaker. He's the one that's meant to be Stephen Elliott. So he's making all these silly little films. And of course, this is around when Jaws came out. And I actually like this. I like kind of seeing these stunts that they do. And what are they, the Death Eaters or something like that? That they're constantly doing bits. Um, I, I'm just going to read all the notes. Because again, there's so many references in here. There's no story to this. Um, when they're eating the jelly beans. So Australian. Nobody likes the black ones, love. <laughs> um, playing cricket with a baby's head. Um, they're talking about porn. Inspect her gadget. Um, oh, and the because Jeremy Sims buys all those like American TV show, like, you know, the, the, the random TV products you did. Did you have it in Canada too where you'd always get the bonus steak knives? Like buy now and you'll get a free set of steak knives. Or is that an Australian so, thing? Is this Keytel? Uh, is that like Home Shopping Channel? Is that, is that what KTEL is? Okay, so they, they mention it in here that he worked for KTEL. This okay. is what I was talking about. KTEL is an extremely famous Canadian company that right. actually started here in Winnipeg. Um, like th- this was enormous in Canada. Uh, like, yeah, like little infomercial things or the, like these short infomercials you see on TV where they've got all these products and everything. Uh, I, I'm not joking. I would almost be willing to add uh what is it? i think it's called as seen on tv the ktel story mm-hmm. a documentary on the history of ktel uh that aired I, I think it may have only been here in manitoba because that's where ktel originated uh it's one of these things if you ever saw the netflix series um what's it called like the movies that made us and uh the toys that made us i'm just showing them, like i've the, heard of them yeah yeah it's like the history of these companies that are so crazy and so absurd like you should make a movie they can make a movie out of the history of ktel so as soon as they said ktel i'm like ah Winnipeg, Winnipeg, because <laughs> that's one of the things Winnipeg was sort of built on was this company KTEL. It was like the biggest thing to ever come out of Winnipeg. That and Slurpees, KTEL and Slurpees, basically. Exactly. And then along the lines, the crash test dummies. Yeah, true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, um, that's the Winnipeg story. Slurpees, KTEL and crash test dummies. But they all look the same. That's kind of what's <laughs> happened. But I, I remember, yeah, growing up, you had the home shopping channel and you just, you'd have the, the big thing was, and you get a free set of steak knives. And I think at one point he drops the line of, but wait, there's more. And we had yeah. like a, we had a, some guy who did it in Australia and I can't remember his name. He got really famous because he was the, but wait, there's more guy. So, like, they would get him on, like, a TV show to, like, do a parody. But wait, there's more. <laughs> um, things like that. I think the way the best way to describe this movie and kind of go over it is we'll briefly go over what's happening and then I'll maybe go over the references because I think that's going to be good, easy. Good idea. So what's happening is we're meeting the families. They've each got their quirks <laughs> and eccentricities. They all like to hang out at the beach together, basically, and they're, they're a big group. So the parents all hang out together and then the kids all get together. The main ones you need to focus on the kids. So you've got, isn't isn't it Ellie? Is that her name? I feel. Ellie. Something. Uh, um, Melly. 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 So you've got Melly, who's the main girl. And then you've got the main kid is Jeff. So Melly and Jeff are kind of like the anchors of this story. It's, it's basically almost a coming of age story about these two who with all the craziness going around them with their parents and kids who are just ridiculous. They're kind of the level-headed ones who sort of talk and get close and blah, 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 blah. So that's kind of them. So you learn that uh, Jeff is a, an avid filmmaker. He makes crazy movies. And, and Melly's kind of just like this sort of thinker. She's like, I don't know, she, she's smart and she, she kind of... The invisible girl. 
the invisible girl. So she's the one who, when we get the main part of this movie, the beach, uh, the beach whale, that basically she's the one who's kind of, oh, I, I feel emotionally connected. Why did it beach itself? I'm not going to eat. And then let's get out of here. Let's kind of start a new life in a far off land called Melbourne, just uh, <laughs> like. 15-hour drive from Sydney, basically. So, um, you know, Melbourne's great. Melbourne's the best city in Australia. Um, so that's kind of the plot of this movie. You're gonna, they love hanging on the beach, getting silly, uh, and then a whale beaches itself, and this is kind of the talking point of the town. You've got Jack Thompson, the mayor. Oh, it's no wonder he decided to beach himself in the best place in the world. And then they have this problem of this giant whale. They can't get rid of it. Um, so how are they going to do this? And basically they that, end up blowing it up. That is the plot. Yeah. I've literally <laughs> gone over the whole plot of the movie right there. That's everything that happens in this movie. Everything else I have to talk about are the references now, <laughs> essentially. But so, like, you have this opening bit with the beach, uh, as I said, you've got blue bottles, you've got Melly gets burnt with the KFC board and all the parents just laugh at her. <laughs> I love Julia McMahon. She's like, hey, stop your crying. Don't get in the car. <laughs> <laughs> and I love this, like, sequence in the car because... Again, I'm sure you have it in Canada, like don't leave children in the car because the car gets 50 times hotter than outside. Um, Oh, but everybody's parents did it growing up, right? Well, they they did. They did. Crack a window, they'll be fine. Um, I mean, you literally see the little Hawaiian doll thing melting. You've got (laughs) pedo Pete. Want an ice cream, little girl? (laughs) And no, it's not me, Colin. Don't say it. I wrote it in my notes. like, this is Ben's character. You don't offer an ice cream, you offer them candy because the ice cream could melt in Australia. Um, everyone knows that. Um, but um, you've got the sort of the reference that would have been why they're called flammable children. Like, we were the first generation to wear synthetic clothing and the last. Um, <laughs> oh, you love that bit. Um, there are a couple but, great burning people moments in this movie <laughs> but i mean another little subtle reference here like for australians so like in the background there because the narrator even says like oh it was on that famous election night and you've got that ad in the background you hear that it's time it's time that was a very famous labor uh the political party in australia ad which i think helped get i believe it was Gough whitlam elected if i'm not mistaken so that was like a legit ad that is regarded as one of australia's most successful like political ads so kind of a reference there to that um I'm just reading through my references here. Uh, please don't pee on me again. The little girl's always getting peed on. The the insults of suck eggs, uh, <laughs> which I don't know if that's a, an Australian thing or you say suck eggs as well. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard it. <laughs> references here that I've written down for your benefit. Um, I think it's when so Jeff is like wanting to film something and they don't want to do it. So he says, do you want Chico Rolls and Sunny Boys or not? Um, so Chico rolls are kind of like a battered parcel of cabbage and gunk, which we sell in like, like, have I explained to you a dim sim before? I don't think so. Okay. So we have like things called, we just call them corner stores, milk bars, basically where essentially you have fried food. So you go and get fish and chips fried and in plastic and, you know, and, but other things you'll have a dim sims, which, Australian Chinese food. It's basically a, a, a deep fried parcel of meat and just stuff. It's, it's delicious. That's one thing I miss about Australian food. Dim sims. They're cheap and nasty when you're drunk. They taste like gold. They're fantastic. And Chico rolls are on the same page, except there's, I think, more vegetables in it, which is why I don't eat them. Um, so, 
there's that and sunny boys are a, a type of like a popsicle they're kind of like almost like frozen orange and they came in like a triangle shape uh which i believe you can still get in australia chico rolls you definitely can i don't know if sunny boys still exist but a very australian on a hot summer's day you you would eat those um so there's a couple of references for our non-australian listening there um and what else do I have here? <laughs> Would you like an ice cream, little girl? I'm just reading my notes. Um, I like the little foreshadowing moment. So you got the fat Labrador. One day you're going to explode. <laughs> so funny. Um, they all come over for the big... So this is where the swinging situation is going to happen. So they all come over for this big like barbecue. The kids are at one table. The adults are at one. There's some of these foods here. Did you get the Rissoles, Colin? I know we talked about Rissoles in the castle last year little meat patties uh, and they're eating the little red cocktail frank sausage things i guess like mini hot dogs uh we call them like yeah. saveloys you got them here too don't you yeah the, the 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 full platter that they had set out looked like everything that you ate at any type of function or yeah. party in the 80s or 90s like it's all garbage <laughs> yeah they had the fondue set going i love the real 70s little oh. pit thing that they've got in the ground kind of they're all the sunken there. room yeah yeah the one thing that the references there when they keep mentioning coon cheese so like coon is a brand of cheese in australia well it was until recently because this is quite topical that through everything that happened uh in recent cancel culture and everything coon got renamed uh, because in Australia... I can coon, imagine why. Yeah, is coon a derogatory term in Canada as well? It, it, well, I think it's an American thing, but yeah, I don't. you never really hear it in Canada, but I'm familiar with it because it's an American term. Well, yeah, well, like it was like, yeah, associated with a, a bad word calling Aboriginal people in Australia. So somebody complained, hey, this is racist. So somebody's like, okay, it is. Let's change it. Even though coon was named after the person who founded the cheese and had <laughs> nothing to do with that, but... It's 2020 slash 2021. Why not? So, Bye-bye, Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben. Yeah. The the uh, the cheese formerly known as Coon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's called now. Maybe it's just a symbol. I have no idea. Um, so <laughs> basically this is all, all set up. So the kids get off to mischief. The parents start by, oh, if you drop the fondue, you have to kiss the person next to them. And then they end up swinging. Now, Colin, swinging is when <laughs> adults put their keys in a bowl and then have sex with another person. So if you and Jamie we- came over and <laughs> with Mallory and I, we'd put our keys in the bowl and you and I would have sex. And I, then I, so I was just about to say, with our luck, it would be you and me. Um, <laughs> that, we that's talked good about, luck. <laughs> we talked about the keys thing recently on something else, didn't we? Uh, yeah, that was on a movie and you didn't get the reference. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, what was what I think movie it made our best that? of. No, well, I think it did. But that what movie was that in? Um, it was meant to be a kid's oh, movie. The um, Grinch. The Grinch, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's what it was. Yep. There you go. But like this, and this is kind of the crux of the adult story, right? Like, so like they're all very close, but swinging basically breaks them apart before they get back together again. Cause uh, Jeremy Sims's character kind of stops halfway through cause Kylie Minogue doesn't want it. And then they all end up hating each other. So that's kind of what happens. Uh, the two kids see them do it through the window um, you've got the, the the I don't want to call her a certain word. I was about to call her. You've got the um, the available the available promiscuous daughter who's basically like, come up to my room and like ends up having a line of guys. But oh, I want to go first. I want to go first. Um, God, there's so many things going on here. I'm just I, I'll stop here, but I'm just looking at some other references. Uh, Grandma swore by coon cheese as a fountain of youth. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> what is what is it like the 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 racism in this movie when uh no not racism the this what is it with the fondue dip it in I knew a girl like that once. <laughs> 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 the, the, I love that one with the kid was like, hey, look at you. You're shit scared of a dolphin. And there's like the picture of like the teenage oh, yeah. <laughs> dolphin. Um, the, the constant references to Pufta in this movie. Uh, <laughs> I think I've explained that to you. Pufta is basically what you call like it's a bad yeah. word for a gay person. In this, yeah. Um, there's a reference to Mr. Squiggle. Now, Mr. Squiggle <laughs> was a childhood TV show where basically you had a puppet with a pencil as a nose and it would draw a picture on a chalkboard. And it was around for like 50 years. I think it only ended recently. I watched it as a kid. And so like you would have, when he draw on the chalkboard, the thing was upside down, upside down, and then like the chalkboard would turn upside down and then you would get the, it was weird. Just It sounds like something straight out of Swing and Safari. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, there's a reference to my chops, like because lamb chops is a very big dish in Australia that's like just super common. That's what we'd have Sunday night dinner, lamb chops. Um, some other references. I'll let you talk in a minute. Don't worry. Uh, when they're like, "Come on, kids, you can watch a movie." Deep Throat. It's about a dentist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, surely you know what Deep Throat is, Colin. Yes, I'm familiar with it. I'm not okay, familiar good. with it. I've never seen it, but I know of it. I also like the reference to number 96 is about to start. Kids off to bed. Now, number 96 was like a very promiscuous Australian late night soap opera, which featured lots of naked women and was like a big sort of. Basically, it was controversial at the time because this was the 70s and oh, you can't show that on TV. Um, also, there's the line with, we've got mum's old wedding dress. It's okay. She never wears it. <laughs> and I'm sure you're going to talk about how much you love this kid getting set on fire. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, the one thing I just want to mention, though, which is kind of, we mentioned Julian McMahon, son of a prime minister. Um, now, what was actually really interesting, there's a bit here where Julian McMahon kisses Kylie Minogue. Julie McMahon, Kylie Minogue's got a very famous sister called Danny Minogue, who's also a singer. Julie McMahon was married to Danny Minogue because they met on Home and Away uh, in the 90s because Danny Minogue did uh, Home and Away, Kylie Minogue did Neighbours. Kind of like, ooh. Uh, So this was like a big reunion, basically, for Julie McMahon's former sister-in-law, Kylie Minogue, (laughs) um, and he had to kiss her. So uh, I wanted more Julie McMahon, Kylie Minogue scenes, but unfortunately it didn't happen. That just sounds weird. Like I, yeah. I don't have any sister-in-laws. Jamie has seven brothers. Um, <laughs> she has she has one sister, I guess. I just you could kiss one sister. of the brothers. <laughs> that sounds even weirder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, that that would be a sticking point with me if I were casting. I mean, if they're divorced, maybe. I mean, maybe then it's fun for him. I don't know. That that long divorced. Um, Danny okay. Minogue went on to get engaged to Canada's only Formula One world champion, Jacques Villeneuve, for a while. She was actually engaged to him for quite some time. So, uh, Danny Minogue being around a bit. Um, but <laughs> I like Danny. <laughs> two men. Two men accounts for being around a bit. <laughs> I've been. What about me? I've been. How many men have I been with? But um, <laughs> I want a random side story. Actually, I'll end. I, I'll end this bit here. I like that bit when the two kids are kind of in bed and they say like hold me like put your arm around me like nana does hold me like you did on naboo (laughs) um fun true story about danny minogue while we're on the minogue topic my mum went to sydney with dad one time and they went to madame tussauds wax museum so mum's like sending me pictures all day of like you know oh hey here's me with this famous good on you mum uh and then all of a sudden sends me a picture of her with danny minogue i'm like okay cool danny minogue wax wax figure then sends me another picture but this time i'm like wait danny minogue's got her arm around you like does this wax, what's happening with this wax figure? And <laughs> my mum's like, no, that's Danny Minogue. Danny Minogue is here today. So, like, I met her. So, she says to me, she's like, 
oh, I, what happened was um, Stephen and I, that's my dad, were sitting down and we see this woman. And it's like, oh, that, that woman kind of looks like Kylie Minogue. So mum went up to her and was like, does anyone ever told you you look like Kylie Minogue? She's like, I'm Danny Minogue. <laughs> <laughs> to which I then said to my mum, go back and tell, get her autograph. So mum got her autograph and I have a piece of paper that says, to Ben, love Danny Minogue. And I'm like, I <laughs> pretend it's Kylie. Even though I still like Danny Minogue. She should have put in brackets underneath it looks like Kylie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she gets that her entire life. She's like the lesser sister. Like, oh, you're related. To yes, I'm related to Kylie Minogue. Well, no, it's funny because we're gonna be we're gonna be going there in um, uh, a couple of weeks when we talk about Treed Murray because that mm -hmm. features uh, Aaron Ashmore, one of the Ashmore twins. Uh, for which, when we discussed him recently, you said it's like that guy who played Jimmy Olsen on Smallville. There's a lot of other actors I always think are him, like yep. the guy that played Iceman, and, and <laughs> I always, for whatever reason, think that they're the same person. Like that's because they're twins. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, um, there it is. Wow, I have so few notes. I mean, half of what I said were just quotes you've already mentioned. Uh, I, I don't remember which one of the guys it is. Like, you talk about how these kids all sort of blend together, like these families all blend together. Some of the adults, I mean, I, I know the difference between the actors, but I forget who's married to who and, you know, which character was which. Because, again, the p pace of this movie is... I, I wanted to originally say frantic. It is chaotic. Oh yeah, <laughs> it is. Well, all it is intentionally all over the I'll place. I'll just quickly add while I while you're on the topic. Stephen Elliott actually said in an interview that like, that's what the test audience has said. Like this is way too fast. So he said he had to add like an extra five ten minutes to this film to slow it down. Um, oh. So this was even faster. I don't know what the five ten minutes were that he added, but yeah, <laughs> this this movie is like boom boom boom. Well, the, the one character they refer to is like, he's the most fun you'll ever have with pants on. Which one was that? Was uh, that Julian McMahon? I think that's Julian McMahon's character, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that description. Like, that's a great description of a person. Uh, I totally thought Funkin' Waglol, uh, Waglol, Wangles. Funkin' Wagnalls. <laughs> I'm like, that has to be a joke. No, it's not a joke. There takes one of the laughs away from the movie. Um, <laughs> okay, so the thing with like the kids' synthetic clothes, like, I could see the joke coming and I got so excited. Like I was <laughs> tired when I was watching this movie and they said, we were the first ones who were fully synthetic clothes and you see the flames. And I'm like, I know what's coming. And they just keep building towards it. Like there are moments in this movie where the, the, the humor is played so brilliantly that there's other parts where they let it drag on too long. This one, let it drag on all you want. Like, <laughs> kids with flaming arms. And then the fact that later on, we're going to get a kid engulfed in flames, which again goes on, Way longer than is humanly. This kid would be dead two, three times over for as long as that sequence goes. But I'm yeah. okay with it. Just watch children burning. Like I want to watch flammable children as a movie. <laughs> I agree with you. It does not work for this movie. This movie should be called Swinging Safari. Uh, but you make a movie called Flammable Children. I'm in. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> your favorite movie of all time. And again, I want to bring up, I am not sick and twisted because it is played for jokes in how many movies we watch. In almost every movie we watch, somebody's burning and it's a joke. I'm not the only person who finds this funny. <laughs> this is, it's all a secret ploy by Colin, basically. He's like, let's choose all the movies with the burning children in it. Yeah, I, I have I have my own list. Let's, if we could find on IMDb burning children as a plot keyword at the end of this, then we know what we're going to be covering all of next year. That's going to be yep. our whole year. Yep. Uh, I will just start a new podcast, me and my nephew. Talking about burning children. You know, he wants to do a podcast, Colin. He's keen for me to see his 30 messages. Doesn't right matter now. what it is on, he's going to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the beach stuff, uh, I think everybody can kind of identify with some of that beach stuff. Uh, you know, even though in Canada, like especially Winnipeg, I mean, we are called Winter Peg for a reason. We are very cold in the winter. Not this year. We have been 
uh, above zero so much that uh, somebody was snowmobiling in our back alley today <laughs> just because everything has melted and turned to like, you know, powder. It's not hard snow. It's not ice. It's just so loose. Uh, everything's melting here. It's so weird. We but... still have a tiny patch of snow at our apartment car park, and every day I get sad that it's smaller and smaller. <laughs> well, I think ours is going to be gone. Like, we, uh, you sent me a picture when you'd gotten your big blizzard, and we had gotten one around the same time. I mean, our snow was waist deep in our backyard, and now I'd be surprised if it's halfway up our shin, and it's supposed to be above zero several days this week. So, hey, I fell uh... when I went snowshoeing, I fell into like super deep snow. So, Go me. Did you fall into super deep snow? And sh- were you using snowshoes the right way? I well, I'm Australian. I don't know what's the right way. I, I watched, <laughs> They're designed I, to keep you on the surface of the snow, no, and like, you somehow fell in snowshoes. It was like we went into this bit off the path, and I kind of like went like I fell over. Right, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> if you fell over, that's fine. But if the snowshoes started sinking, you're doing something wrong. Well, the snowshoe <laughs> fell off my foot at one point, so I don't know if it was oh, correct. Oh yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, like Winnipeg gets so hot in the summer. Like um, I've mentioned it many times on here. I think uh, we battle it out with uh, one or two other cities in the world for having the greatest difference between our winter lows and our summer highs. Like the entire world, Winnipeg is one of the uh, biggest ranges of temperatures ever. So a lot of this like hot summer stuff, like the frying the eggs. I mean, people have done that here. I've seen eggs on the sidewalks. People just leave there, you know? Uh, <laughs> eggs but- on the side. There's one. <laughs> uh I totally missed that this is supposed to be a phobia of the guy with umbrellas, but I'm going to be excited to talk about that later because that is one of the best parts of the movie. Uh, The sitting in the hot car, though, like, wow, anybody uh, in Canada, I think, can identify with that. Uh, We got so hot here in Winnipeg, and my mom used to do it all the time. Okay, I'm running into the store for a few minutes. Just keep the windows open. And it was brutal every single time because you have nothing to do. Yeah, You're sitting in a hot car with the doors locked, by the way, because they don't want anybody getting from the outside because there's no way that they could fit their hand in that crack. (laughs) Of the window that's open. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, str- the stranger thing too. Uh, not only did I know that was a bad moment. It's also one of the most brilliantly played jokes in this entire movie. Because he sounds very sincere. It's like, hey, would you like an ice cream cone girl? Oh, I'm not supposed to talk to strangers. And then you hear a siren in the distance. And he suddenly looks panicked and runs away. <laughs> like you don't think they're going to go there, but they do. There's like a bunch of little moments though that I, I really picked up this time. Like later on when like that fat girl goes to the cop. Hey, I'm on the pill. And then it just cuts away like quickly. <laughs> like I just love these little moments moments where they just kind of say something it just cuts away and you're just meant to like let your imagination go for yeah. the rest it's brilliant uh, i don't know if you caught or if you know enough about the jaws movie and we've talked briefly about it. i don't know how much of a jaws fan you are oh, i, mean, I, I think jaws it. ended it was jaws on was both in my of top our 50 i believe yeah it was on both yeah. of our lists like pretty high up but as yeah. far as the sequels go i mean i know you've seen them but like i, I will still watch the sequels regardless of how bad they are i've seen the sequels well the one of the most famous stories is that the original pitch for jaws 3 uh, that the producers came up with is they wanted to do a parody and they wanted to call the movie Jaws 3 People Zero. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if you caught in this movie when they're Jaws making... Jaws 2 People the, Zero. It's Jaws 2 People Zero, which obviously predates even Jaws 2 existing. But that was one of these moments where I'm like, oh, okay, a movie buff threw that in and that's pretty good. Um, yeah, the, the pace really works for the opening act of this movie. It's going to hurt it the longer this movie goes on. But for this opening, everything up until the swinging safari sequence, this chaotic pace 100% works. Um, I'm going to have some parallels when we get to the second and third act of this movie for a show that a lot of people love that I actually hate that's very similar to this. I'll just say it now. Have you ever seen the TV show The Goldbergs? 
Uh, I watched like an episode or two and it was fine. I didn't get into it though. So it, it's built on the same thing this, this time, the 80s, but mm. 80s nostalgic, you know, uh, family show, family sitcom. There's something about the style of the Goldbergs that's very similar to this. A lot of loudness and a lot of frantic chaoticness that I thought was very similar to this movie. Uh, I did enjoy this more than the Goldbergs. I'll just say that I'm not a fan of the Goldbergs, but it was very similar. Uh, I don't know if maybe the the director, I mean, he seems, uh, Stephen Elliott seems a little more respectable than to get his material from the Goldbergs. But they're all, if, if people like the Goldbergs, they might like this movie. Um, I just feel like Goldbergs might work in small doses, which is why it's a sitcom. Uh, don't know if it, it can maintain it for an hour and a half like this movie does. I, I thought when I first saw the Goldbergs was a thing, I thought that they were going to be doing the uh, the background story of uh, the greatest goalkeeper, goaltender, sorry, in the history of hockey movies. That but, was my hope too. Yeah. Never happened. Sadly not. <laughs> uh, I 100% agree with you on the two main kids. They are what helps this movie stay tolerable because it would be way too much if it was just all these other characters for 90 minutes. And here you have two kids who not only are decent actors, but they have the hardest roles in the movie because everybody else is big and elaborate and flamboyant and over the top. And they are the straight characters in this movie. They're playing the straight roles. They're the Tommy Lee Jones of Men in Black. You know, we have to be funny while being calm and quiet and thoughtful. And they both pull it off. Like they both have funny moments, but I think I was most with this movie during those little scenes as, as, as hard as it is to believe the little scenes, like when, you know, they sent all the kids home before the, uh, the, the key sequence in the swinging safari sequence. And the little girl was just like, you know, would you, they're, they're going to have a little sleepover. It's like, Oh, would you sleep with me? And any of the characters in this movie that turns into a massive joke, but she literally just means just lie down next to me because I'm uncomfortable by myself. Mm-hmm. And Little sequences like that. I love the relationship with these two kids. It's it's like um, it, a lot of the coming of age stories that have been really popular over the last couple of years. Boyhood and Moonlight would be the two big ones. I really saw that there was potential for a movie about that with these two kids, making a drama about these two kids. It still works in a big comedy like this because you know it helps to ground an otherwise a movie that could have otherwise become very annoying over time. Uh, but these two kids, like they they are what perk me up every time they come on screen and i think that should be the opposite because they are not overly funny they're not over the top that you shouldn't really be following there's not much of a story here i just liked watching these two kids together the two actors are great like i don't know have either of them done anything since this um from what i was reading uh so jeff is played by a young kid called atticus rob i believe this is his very first role um and i mean i don't pff, I don't know if he's done anything since. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> so uh, if I look on IMDb, uh, Swinging Safari is literally his only credit. So uh, I'm going to say no, he hasn't done anything. And the girl played by somebody called Darcy Wilson. Um, she was in Home and Away, possibly after I stopped watching it. She was in The Dressmaker, Colin. We were going to, oh. back in the Spectre days, we were going to see The Dressmaker <laughs> instead. Uh, maybe she was in Home and Away because I watched it back in that period of time. I don't remember her. Um, but she hasn't done much since though. She was in Neurogenesis after this and in Australian TV show, she was in the house of Hancock. So that was like a sort of a biopic on a very rich Australian woman and wake in fright, a Australian miniseries, uh, which I have not heard of. So, um, mm-hmm. she's actually, she's 19. So she would have been like 17. She 
both of these, I don't know how old um, Atticus Rob is, but uh, they both come across as like 14-year-olds. Like I, I, I yeah. thought she would have been that age. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I would have even thought potentially younger than that. Mm. Like uh, th- They do a really good job with it. There's a TV show that um, it's called The Wonder Years uh, that was very popular over here. And again, I got big Wonder Years vibes out of, uh, uh, you know, this. It, it, it does play very autobiographical, this one, because I, I feel like there's a lot of movies that are, the directors say this is autobiographical, and it's really lacking a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great example would be American Graffiti, which was like George Lucas's breakthrough movie. Uh, completely different, you know, style of movie from this, but well, the style is similar because it is just a whole bunch of chaotic. But I, I do really like movies like this, where the directors, here's a bunch of experiences and it feels real, and it's entertaining, you know, because even if this is a decade too early for me, it's nostalgia still. Wasn't that like Eight Mile? Isn't like isn't that Eminem said like this uh, is that kind M&M. of, but not yeah. really? Or and again, another one that seems to lack a lot of story, but it's still intriguing to watch it. You know, mm. um, see, I, I I'm really with this type of genre, uh, but there are things that coming up aren't going to work. But like everything here, I was surprised. I came into this, especially when you told me that Mallory thought this was one of the dumbest things she'd ever seen. Uh, <laughs> I was expecting this would be, oh, this is 100%, especially since it was not a hit movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, and funny enough, we'll get to it on the end, but it seems like critics like this movie somewhat and audiences could not stand it. Like this does not sit well on IMDb or anything for its ratings. Uh, I was expecting to hate this. And the first third of this movie, I was so into it. Like I was loving this. Uh, it, the, the swinging safari sequence. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to go into any details, but I'm, I'm sure every kid Six. had that moment. <laughs> they had that <laughs> moment growing up where whether they saw something or didn't see something, I never saw something, but they have that moment where they realize their parents are maybe not as pure having and angelic sex. as you thought. <laughs> well, I, I, I never saw my parents having sex, Uh but, but I'm sure everybody can identify with something, a moment I heard where they're like, my parents have sex. I, I've, I've heard things before, yeah. Um, <laughs> you thought they were I, fighting. I, I, <laughs> I still think they were fighting. I'm still very confused over that. But, um, you know, my dad died when I was like eight. So nothing about that when I was that young. But as I got older, you know, my mom being single or married a couple times, um, mingling a little bit. Which famous when, men when I, came in the house that way. Well, that's the thing. When, when I when I reached the age where I realized a lot of these famous people that my mom talked about knowing growing up, she didn't just know them, she dated them. Brian uh, Adams. <laughs> not Brian Adams. <laughs> William Shatner. <laughs> but yeah, yeah like, it's, it's, that weird, it's that weird, it's that weird moment that it's very uncomfortable to watch the, 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 the swinging sequence. But then watching the kids, well, (laughs) when you watch the kids watch it, that's what becomes uncomfortable. And again, you just have these memories of, uh, even if it's just a moment where where you you suddenly clue in, wait a second, my parents were having sex. That's how I was born. (laughs) You were born, weren't you, Colin? Uh, They had to have sex at least once. (laughs) Well, okay, but I wanted to to ask a question about this girl, though, because I think I, I totally got that it was before that sequence where she didn't want to eat, but it's almost like after this happens, she takes on this vow of not eating. And it's something that's not properly explained in the movie. And I sort of finished this movie interpreting it as this girl didn't want to eat because she was so traumatized. Like she was really traumatized by having seen what the parents were doing, but it was before that where the mother was trying to get her to eat. And then the boy just, you know, deep throated those meatballs to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to to get her off the hook. So what is the thing with her not eating in this movie? Because it's clearly not 
uh, a thing of you know being traumatized by her parents. I thought it was a whale. Like I thought it was just it came down to she connected so emotionally with the whale. Like it's kind of mm, it's, maybe. it's t- to me it's because like she's like the invisible girl. She's the one who's like her and Jeff are the ones who are completely opposite. Everyone else is batshit crazy and does stupid things and are all the same. Whereas like yeah. they're the ones that kind of stand out. So she's the one who's going to connect with that whale because she's like, why did it kill itself? Why did it do this? And it's like an escapism thing to me. So, mm-hmm. um, and then she's going to be free. Like she's happy when they blow up the whale. Cause she's like, finally it's free. And that to me is like when she says later on, Oh, when we get to Melbourne, I'll start eating. Like it's kind of, I'll be free. Cause you do kind of get those little things here that like her parents, like when it's basically like, you're not leaving the table till you eat these. And then you see your mum's like, Oh, she's such a pain. I wish we had another boy. And you know, it's, it's clearly they don't get them. And, and maybe that's kind of like what Stephen, what's his face is saying. Stephen Elliott is that like, they didn't get me. Cause I, I, I don't even know. Like, so I, Stephen Elliott, apparently um, he came out. So he's gay. So I wonder if this is like an interpretation about like, Hey, my parents didn't get me because of this, or he was a bit yeah. different because of that. Um, I don't know. Um, Cause I mean, all the interviews I've read about him saying about this movie, he's like, everything in this is, he said, the only thing that basically isn't true is that, his sister wasn't the promiscuous one. It was his neighbor's sister, but he just kind of wrote it in that it was his sister. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, I've got to assume that, like, his relationship, um, so in real life it's with who the costume designer is in this movie, who apparently he's worked with a lot on, like, Priscilla and all that sort of stuff. So I'm assuming, so these scenes when, like, you're thinking these two teenagers are kind of like, oh, they're in bed together, they, you know, what are you going to do as a teenager? Like, yeah, it's never implied that Jeff is gay in this movie, but, like, I mean, it's kind of a nice Well, little... it is by the parents. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's a but nice... But you see, li- this... Uh, what you're saying makes total sense, but it's actually going to take this movie down a couple notches for me because I feel like they had some really great... that That's a really great idea, but it is not spelled out that well in the movie about the girl and, and some of the you know, things about him being gay. Cause I, again, I didn't connect the dots until you said he's gay in real life, that that's probably what that bedroom scene is going to mean. I think this movie would just, it would be so much deeper if they took five or 10 minutes away from a lot of the shock gross out humor that they have and really made this a boyhood or a moonlight just with some humor. Hmm. Yeah. Would I mean like explore that a little bit more? I think you're right. Because I think there's also like later on, there's that line when the parents are basically shoving him in a bedroom, giving him condoms, like go for it. And then yeah. kind of the the line is to say that they haven't had sex is when he said something like about like, or she says like, Oh, I liked how you respected me. Or like he said, like, you know, I'm, he kind of apologizes for obviously not having sex. Yeah. With he says something. something like, Oh, I don't know what was wrong with me. You know, yeah. like implying. Which hey, you could hey, explore hey. that a little bit. It was more. cold water. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like explore that a little bit more and have this as a homosexuality yeah. angle, but then you got to do a whole nother level. Cause I mean, you've got so many references to poofters and lezers in this movie that it's kind of like, you know, it takes away from it. But, um, yeah, uh, even if you don't explain, even if you set it up a little bit more throughout the movie, like I'm going to have a whole uh, a whole new list of other issues once we get to uh, what the parents are doing at the end of this. And it's not even a moral objection. It's just, again, this movie not making it clear what the point is. We'll move on to, and again, we'll probably lump a whole lot of this up. I, I Basically from this point on, the parents are against each other. They end up trying to come together for a truce, but then they start calling each other like sluts and hussies and all that sort of stuff. So then you just have a whole series of pranks going on where basically, you know, they're doing uh, just things against each other and all that sort of stuff. And essentially they then will make up and then try to hook up uh, Jeff and Melly together. 
Uh, you also have uh, the sister basically getting caught out all the time. Like, Jeremy's, hi, Mr. March, how you going? <laughs> Trying to shake his hand while he's getting a blowjob. Oh, it's so funny. Um, and and basically, I mean, the rest of the movie is that, and it comes down to they're trying to get rid of this whale, and it's all going to come together by them blowing up the whale, which essentially is based off that. Do you remember seeing that famous clip from the 70s? Was it in the States where they blew up that whale? It's like it was a very famous clip that essentially... I read about it, though. Yeah. I read about it when when looking up on this movie. I'm like, man, I got to see this. Yeah, it was like it was based on a real thing, and I remember them used to sharing this clip, so... Um, which I want to talk about that scene separately because I fucking love that scene. It's so hilarious. Um, but again, just all borders down to references from this point on, really. Like, I, I want to talk about the little clips of the filmmaking. Like, I love, like, y- you did your Batman parodies. I did Kill Phil. Yeah. And, like, you, you, whenever you make films like this, you've got to interpret, like, certain things of, like, you know, Kill Phil, we had stupid bits of, like, people getting limbs chopped off and blood and all this sort of stuff. But I, I love it, like, in this movie, like, when they're shoving that kid's head against a fence and you see a watermelon all of a sudden, like, the bad cut. And they start eating the watermelon. There's that guy gets run over by the car. And then the girl's like, no. And then, like, the teacher, like, getting hacked to death and, like, blood going everywhere. It's so much fun. Like, And I like it in the credits how they kind of show these films almost, like, in their entirety, basically, when it comes down to that. Super, um, do you ever see Super 8? JJ no, Burns I haven't seen it, but I, I, I hear it's good. Yeah, they do the same thing with that movie. What's great about that is that you watch them making their movie, these kids making their Super 8 movie the whole time, and you're like, wow, this movie's probably going to come out looking really good. And then the end credits, they show what the movie would be, and you're like, wow, this is so bad. <laughs> um, but some of the references here that I feel like are important to point out. So the the, the ice cream containers on okay, their head. Okay, that was the most confusing thing in this entire movie for me. Okay, so in Australia, we have birds that like to swoop on you. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, there's a bird called a magpie. I'm sure you've heard of a magpie, like these black yeah. and white little ratty things, uh, the mascot of the worst Australian football team around. And they are extremely territorial and they will legitimately, you're walking to school and they will swoop at you. They, no, they will literally fly down and attack you. So you would put these on your head to like protect yourself. <laughs> and the, um, so there's a lot of memes and going around for Australians about like uh, magpies and that. But the, the thing that I think also they're referencing, if you hear the, the bird call that they have, it sounds like a plover. And a plover is basically a very similar thing to a magpie. And they've got like a spike under their wing. And basically they've got this really shrill, ah, terrible sound. And they are like, if you see a group of them on like grass, you avoid it because you know there's babies around there somewhere and they're going to fucking swoop you. Um, so that's kind of what that is. It's like, hey, put on your helmets, ride to school. You're going to get attacked by birds. Uh, <laughs> think about Canadian geese. But... Yeah. Fly. Oh yeah, the, the devil creatures is what we call them here. Yeah, not as Everybody big. Else, what a beautiful bird in Canada. They're like, no, kill them all. I love hearing them. Like every now and then, I'll just hear like geese in the distance. Um, <laughs> also, like, so the school I think is a fairly accurate depiction of Australian school. Um, so, like, if I've talked a lot about Chris Lilly on this show and what he does really, really well with his parodies and. Um, he basically um, he did he did one called Summer Heights High, and he it's basically an exact repli- replica of what it was like high school. And so here, when they go to the school canteen or the kiosk or whatever you would call it, um, when they're going through all the different types of food, all accurate things that we have in Australia. So he he ends up getting a mint patty, which is basically a circle 
piece of like chocolate with like mint flavoring in the middle of it. Delicious. You have lamingtons, which I, I don't know if you know what lamingtons are. No. Basically, like when it, like you talk about Australian cuisine, like, like I've made lamingtons for people over here because like it's one of the most Australian things you have. It's basically sponge cake covered in like a chocolate icing with coconut on top. Um, really good. Re- I'll make it for you. When you come here, I'll make you a lamington. Um, also, you have red frogs, which are like basically red candy, basically in the shape of frogs, which you get at the school kids. We have those like here. Five, yep. And then the, I don't know if you noticed the the packet of thags. Did you see those? Yeah. Okay. So I saw that. <laughs> yeah. So that was so basically they were candy cigarettes, basically, and because okay. you call cigarette a fag. And then I think it was in the eighties or nineties they started. You know, oh, this is not right. So they called them fads instead of fags. <laughs> so they changed the G to a D. And then they were like, oh, hang on a minute, but these are still cigarettes because they used to have a little red tip on the end and you used to pretend you were smoking them. So they're like, oh, mm-hmm. no, still not good. So they took the red tips off it and they were just these candy sticks called fads. Um, and, so. and, and now they call them candy coons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what they call them. Um, I, lo- I love it, like, though, this kid, like, oh, my parents can't afford anything. Oh, we'll give you stuff. Yeah. Sucker. <laughs> I heard that. Um, and what's... There's a there's a little fat kid who's really really funny, um, and I can't remember what the line is here, but I think it's like Jeff's talking to him about something, and he's like, "Do you know why they do this?" And the kid turns around and goes, "Is it because they're Lebanese?" <laughs> and it's like, no. <laughs> like, is that the same kid that when uh, the the girl drops her sandwich yes, on the ground, he goes, the "Are you gonna eat that?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like it's got sand all over it. Well, it's called a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. When she opens a lunchbox, you have the um, the anxiety pills. But there's a. I, I feel we've talked about these on this show before. You see the. We call them biscuits. You call them cookies. They've got like pink icing on them with red like stuff. They're called iced vovos. They are some of the nicest biscuits that you will have ever. It's just basically like a a plain biscuit with like red jam on it, covered in like a pink sort of coconut icing. Oh, they're so good. Um, so little references there. You've got the reference to the blue light disco which basically was kind of like a, a, a thing that a community would have run usually by the police where, like, you'd get the kids together and have, like, an underage disco, right? Like, that's kind of what it was. Um, I also love, like, all these little, like, constant references to people knocking on the door. So you had Avon calling and you'd have, would you like to, like, Jesus into your life? <laughs> Just oh, I'm excited about the last one. And then, you, yeah, you have the kid. I'll talk about that separately. Um other references that you have there, like I like it when um, Guy Pierce is going off of Kylie Minogue, like he's on the phone with the Funk and Wagnalls. You can buy D for dildo or T for tragic. <laughs> <laughs> like you could wake up next to a dildo loving alcoholic. Um, and then what is Julian McMahon at one point? It's like, Molly, go play in traffic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I also love the whole pet sequence where they go over all the different pets. Sandy. Sandy, yeah. and what's the dog on wheels? Where basically it's like they kept wanting oh, it to die. Oh, the little die. wiener dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically, they keep dropping this dog, wanting it to die. Did, did you um, ever see? It made my top fifty TV shows, but uh, the Michael J. Fox TV show Spin City. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, there's um in the third season they introduced a dog who was like, you know, I don't know, a hundred years old. They, they would they would put gray hair on this dog to just sell how old it was. And this dog was, it was the opposite of this. It was a dog who was suicidal. So they would always have the dog licking a light socket or something like that, or trying to throw itself onto you know, a knife block or whatever. And no matter what this dog did, it could never die. Cause it was just so old and wanted to die. This, this kind of reminded me of that. Like the dog that couldn't die. 
I just think it was, yeah, I, I can't remember that bit of it. Because didn't Charlie Sheen take over after Michael Yeah, Jay he Fox? did the last two seasons. Um, yeah, and I also like, I, the one thing I will say I love about, so Rada Mitchell to me is like the most forgettable of all of them, even though she's great. I, when I say forgettable, I mean the actors. Like I, I can tell you Guy Pearce, Kylie Minogue, Julie McMahon, Asha Ketty, Jeremy Sims, but then I forget, oh yeah, Julie McMahon's wife. But she maybe is one of my favourite characters because I love the way like, They'll get there and they'll be like, oh, here you go, son. He's a turtle from the Galapagos. And she's like, the exotic Galapagos. <laughs> like the way she kind of throws them And like later on when they try and send Molly, uh, Melly and Jeff to the thing, they're like, and you two kids are going to go to the Blue Light Disco. And she's like, together. <laughs> like is she the carpet lady? Because again, I mix these up so no, much. No, that's Asha Ketty. She's the blonde okay. one. She doesn't want any. Yeah, she's, she's my favorite. Yeah, uh, actually, like, I, mom, I, mom, that wasn't your your painkiller. That was your pearl air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your pearl earrings smell like shit. <laughs> um. Oh god, yeah. The cricket bat kills the dog basically, and Sandy explodes. <laughs> so weird and they throw sausages in the grave <laughs> actually i like the little the the line from richard roxborough when he's like talking about his brother and he's like oh don't worry one of them grew up to be a dentist the other's in jail and the other yeah. is called lenore <laughs> yeah it's like uh, they, they both grew up to be dentists it's like cal's still in jail and uh, uh what's his name liam is now known as lenore <laughs> Um, the, the sequence where all the families really hate each other. So basically they're like, right, kids, you're going off to a Catholic school and all the priests will have their way with you. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bert, Kylie Minogue burns all the toys. <laughs> please not Humpty burns it. That bear, when she says, please not Humpty, there was a very famous Australian TV show called Humphrey B. Bear. It was weird. It looked uh, creepy to me. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, you have the kids like- at school watching Stranger Danger. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there, there's a mention to Jermaine Greer, who was a very famous Australian feminist. Um, and then the bit when they're doing the pool stuff and they're like, they're, I think that's when they want to drown the kid and like put the, the weight on the pool. I love it when Jeff's like, blah, blah get the funnel webs out of the pool. Uh, again, so blase about uh, such a deadly creature. Funnel webs are like the most deadly spider in the world, basically, and they legitimately will go in your swimming pool. They can live up to like 24 or 48 hours and they curl up in a little ball. You don't even know they're there and you swim and you accidentally kick it, right, because you're swimming, and it will bite you and you will die. So <laughs> who would ever live Australia? in Australia? <laughs> That's why you all hate us because we all these things like at least a bear in Canada you see it coming to you know it's going to kill you in Australia yeah. nah you don't know where they are anyway I didn't know you oh was that it there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awkward silence moving on um, other things here that I've written here it's like oh shut up we're moving to Adelaide which is a pretty bad threat um, <laughs> Mallory in the background I knew she would uh, she lived in Adelaide I knew she would get a kick out of that one. <laughs> I actually Adelaide's a nice city. I shouldn't say that. Adelaide is a nice city. I like it when um Jeffrey Sims calls up Julian McMahon. It's like, I want a truce. No, I don't want a goose. <laughs> Cause all the makeup's in the thing. Um what else is going I, on? I here? just want to stop for a second. Um is this Sims guy fairly famous in Australia? Yeah, somewhat. Like he's kind yeah, of more known. Because you TV you've work. called him three you've called him three separate names. Have I? Mr. Sims. <laughs> I think he's been. That. I think so far he's been Timmy, Jeremy, and Jeffrey. <laughs> let's just call him Sims Two, busting out. Um, yeah, Sims. Let's call him Jeremy Sims. Uh, <laughs> oh Ben, don't mention him. You've got a you've got a restraining order for mentioning Jeremy Sims on this podcast. Careful now. Um, 
Oh, God, I've got so many references here. I like it when they're on the radio. Over, over. Um, <laughs> God. Oh, and then we... Okay, I'll end it here with the the, the impaling of the kid with the umbrella. Um, yes. So the whole way through this movie, Mr. Sims has kind of gone on about his fear of umbrellas. And you're like, huh, what, what does that mean? And then basically it all comes down to this moment where we get a flashback of the... Do you have these, like, beach umbrellas? Is this a thing that you yeah. take to... Yeah, okay. Um, so basically he puts up a beach umbrella and it gets blown away and it impales a kid. And now this kid's <laughs> knocking on the door basically, hi, save the kids, sir. Um, and he feels so guilty. And basically... Water cash. Yeah, like... This, the thing I think I love most about this movie is that it is just random. It is just silly. There's no plot to it, but it's just like you just have so many, like it is fast, but like you just have these random little moments of a kid getting impaled by an umbrella. Um, a guy on the phone, no, I don't want a goose. Uh, <laughs> like just silly little things. And then Asha Kenny pisses on the child. <laughs> Come here, I'm going to piss on you. <laughs> Squatting in the middle of the garden too. Oh, it's just so ridiculous. And like the one of the best moments that I get such a laugh out of is like when they put the prawns in the the wheel, and then later on when they're driving him to the blue light disco, something smells like prawns. Yeah, that can't be good. <laughs> and then just keep driving. I don't know why I find that so funny. That comes after a rape joke. Yeah, I had this girl once. Claimed she couldn't remember anything the next day. Oh, those <laughs> were the good times. <laughs> oh my god, this movie's. So inappropriate. Uh, and then they give the kids all the alcohol and the smokes. There you go. You're an adult now. And then oh. gives her the pill. Mom, Dad, I'm so happy. Um, oh, God. This movie. Talk, Colin. All right. <laughs> I, I mean, I have no notes left that we haven't already talked about just in brief passing here. Uh, I liked the, the you know, Leo is known as Lamotinor and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> there are a couple of sequences of this movie where... The, from a filmmaking point of view, it is absolutely brilliant to watch, like visually. Uh, one of them is the um, the, the Sandy sequence mm. because they suddenly stop the movie and it, and it becomes like a freeze frame. It's like, let's tell you about our pet Sandy, you know? And then they go through this long five minute long thing where like, where is this going? Which is all leading up to the dog dying. Uh, just that little flat, the way that they kind of just cut to this random flashback showing all the pets and then the kids drilling through the the shell of the turtle. Uh, <laughs> all this torture of animals is great. Um, th- there's things that I don't quite get what the point is. Like when they give the dog, I think this is when Sandy to the the daughter. She's they see this tiny little box uh, or whatever that's coming out of. It's like I hope it's a pony. <laughs> like is that supposed to be a joke? Because this is a tiny box, or was she being legitimate? Like she was hoping for a pony because then she's not disappointed that it's a dog. I didn't get. I it. I think like, it just comes down to the fact that the majority of people in this movie are legitimately stupid. So like it's just kind yeah. of like I hope it's a, oh, it's a dog. Like yeah. I, I, I thought know. that joke could have been funnier though if you made it clear it was a joke. Um, but yeah, that sequence, and then not just the idea of this kid, a child being impaled by <laughs> the the bottom half of a beach umbrella. But the way that it's filmed, it like this is like this is like Academy Award worthy. You know what, what they do here. So you see this slow motion shot of the 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 well, I was gonna call it balloon. What's it called? An umbrella. An umbrella flying through the air, and then they'll cut to people, and it's their sunglasses showing the reflection of the umbrella slowly rolling past, flying through the air. And then I, I had no idea where they're going with this, and to to have the the joke, the punchline be a child has been impaled by this thing. It's just brilliant. And then, yeah, him after the whole movie, just all these 
solicitors being turned away. He just puts everything in his wallet in there. Uh, if Sam Mendes can win an Academy Award for a floating plastic bag, then you know, then this is the Australian equivalent. Like they Stephen Elliott was him. robbed. I mean, Stephen Elliott's going to direct What's... a Bond movie, so two of them. Did, well, you you told me what it was. Um, the 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 name of the Australian Oscars. It was something really stupid. Uh, what they're, is it? Well, they're now called the Actors. They used to be called the AFIs, but now they're just called the Actors. Oh, A-A-C-T-A-S. maybe it was something else. A-A-S. Oh, you talking? You thinking the Logies? That's TV. The Logies. That's what I was. Logies. This fuck it. This is the best thing. This was on TV. This would win a Logie. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's some great filmmaking in this, and I'd be interested to see more of Stephen Elliott's stuff because he's a great director. It's just I, I feel like as soon as the sequence. By the way, if you look at Stephen Elliott, he looks exactly like uh, an, an actor. I'm trying to remember the name of him. I just clicked on his filmography here, and it's it's incredibly distracting. He kind of looks like Timothy Robbins. Actor? Uh, no, there's a different guy I'm thinking of. I'll, I'll, I'll probably come up with it. He looks very familiar. Is it Tanya Roberts, uh, who I've just heard is dead? That's who it is. Yeah. <laughs> Tanya Roberts. Oh, wait, no, By sorry. Way, Tanya Roberts still alive. Good news. It's all right. I mean, there is a good Tanya Roberts connection with this. You know, she was on That 70s Show, mm-hmm. and this is kind of like That 70s Movie. Yep. Um, so. Yeah. Often confused. Oh, very much. <laughs> uh, I, just looking at his filmography here, though, I mean, maybe I'll take that back because the only other movie of his I've seen is Eye of the Beholder, the movie that Ewan McGregor made with him, which is one of the worst movies Ewan McGregor's <laughs> ever made. So I don't know. Maybe, but he, he's he's an interesting filmmaker. Um, you know, maybe he's got some good. This, this movie, it gets so weird after the swinger sequence, which I, I again thought they were going for a bit of kind of a comedy drama where these adults all live this wild lifestyle and didn't pay attention to their kids. And then this happens. They all thought they wanted to do it. And then it just causes all the problems in the marriages. They seem like they're going that direction where this movie's going to be about all these problems that this one thing has caused, even for the people who didn't want to do this. And then they go into Adam Sandler territory where it becomes a practical joke war. And I'm like, what has happened to this movie? It, it just, it becomes so weird that they, they go through this, practical joke sequence because it doesn't feel like it fits these characters it feels like these characters suddenly want to forget this ever happened and not they're just constantly at war with each other um one thing i was watching this on a smaller screen and i couldn't tell what it was uh the guy steps on the carpet and hurts himself what is that uh i think somebody put tacks in the carpet like i think they flipped it around and put like sharp things in the in the plastic instead Oh, okay, so now, now I get it. Now it makes sense to me. Because, yeah, there's this thing. It's not common anymore. But you would throw, like, this plastic thing down over part of your carpet. Like, if you mm. had a chair there, like a desk chair. Yeah, that's yeah, what Yeah, but the have, other yeah. side of that is sharp, like razors. Yeah. I think, so I think yeah, that's what it yeah. is. Yeah. Okay, now it makes more sense to me. But, yeah, it's just it's a, it's a weird thing to do in this movie that, that totally changes what I thought the movie was going to be about. And then I thought that I was getting back into it again because they make the story – these parents suddenly trying to end this war by saying, look what's happened to our children. Like part of what this movie I felt like was supposed to be about was the fact the parents were so preoccupied with their own craziness that they weren't even watching how uh, on the verge of death, their children were, Uh, you know, children are being set on fire here in this movie, you know? Uh, And and even aside from just the stunts they're pulling uh, for the, the filmmaking part of this, you've got the girl who's giving blowjobs to every other kid on the street uh, and then the parents are oblivious to this, but it felt like they had that moment where they were going towards, listen, we've got to do something about our kids. We need to set a good example or something. And then their example seems to be, I don't know, was it supposed to be reverse psychology 
where they suddenly start giving vodka shots to the kids <laughs> and uh, giving her the birth control pill and then trying to set up the other, because they were mortified when they saw the two main kids kissing. Like all of them were mortified. She's only 14 years old. Oh, well, uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, I guess a bit of a relief because I thought he was gay for a minute there. Now I understand the reference to that joke. But why do they go the opposite direction when they suddenly start embracing this? I thought that the whole point was that they were trying to use reverse psychology, give these kids what they wanted, or maybe, hey, the kids are only doing all this crazy stuff because they think we're not watching. If we think, if they think we're suddenly watching and em- embracing this, they won't like it, but it, it doesn't work like reverse psychology. There's no moment where the parents are like, oh, that backfired. I, I definitely see what you're saying because, like, again, I don't think this movie has a genuine enough plot that you can fully go, well, this is what this movie's trying to sell. But I think, to me, that's kind of the point of it. Like, this is kind of just a crazy movie where they're showing how, like, over-the-top things were in the 70s because it's kind of... I think it comes off that generation, doesn't it, where, like, these are, what, like, the baby boomer generation now that is kind of taking... They've got a new world to play with. It's, you know, the 60s and 70s changed things so much that they've got a new way of doing it. So they don't know what they're doing when it comes to parenting and they can't, I guess, separate themselves from this flamboyant lifestyle that they go, ah, fuck it. Like, you know, let's just make our kids do this at the same time. And I think kind of that's what is trying to be said at the end of the day that like what, because he says at the very beginning, like what the hell happened in the seventies? Yeah. So I think kind of that's just, that's basically what he's trying to say. And yet you've still got these straight laced people who can kind of go through the bullshit and become genuine people and kind of see through all the bullshit and, and come through it that way. So that's how I interpret it. It's just kind of like this batshit crazy world. You can still have two people that basically, oh, like I'm not buying into that. Let's be normal. While everyone else, their level of normal comes from, let's try swinging. Fuck, we hate each other. Fuck, well, we're not going to change. Let's just try and turn our kids into these. That's kind of how I, I can see, again, I definitely see what you're saying. It's like Wonder Woman the other day. I don't, I'm not here going to disagree with what you're saying because I can easily see how that can be interpreted, but maybe I just watch it differently and enjoy it on a level where I'm, this is one of those times where I'm not reading into it as much as maybe I do on other movies. But again, I completely get if that's the point of the movie, but we still need something as an audience to explain why the character's actions are changing. Cause they go from being mortified with everything that's happening with their kids to saying, we got to do something about the kids. And the very mm. next scene, they're letting them do whatever they want. So give us one line where they're like, Let's let them do whatever they want and they'll either turn out normal like us because they think they're normal or they'll be like, oh, it's reverse psychology. They're not going to do all this crazy stuff if they think we're okay with it. Uh, And again, I agree with that, but I think kind of maybe the thing that sets them is that you get this underlying tone that they don't know what to do with Melly and Jeff because they're so different to what they're, they're not what they're used to. And when they catch them kissing, that's kind of their their light bulb moment. Or hey, they're the same. They're the same as us. So yeah. let's give them condoms. Let's force them to have sex. Let's do this. And kind of, and they believe everything because they're so oblivious to who these kids really are. And that basically it's implied at the end of this movie that they do run away to Melbourne and they get away with it. Like it's kind of, that to me is kind of, that maybe is the moment you're seeking there, but maybe it's not quite as explained as, as, as you would like it to be. If we weren't coming off of, about 10, 15 minutes of this movie being practical joke war, I might read more into it than I think you are. But maybe uh, the fact is they added stuff to this movie. So there's no deleted scenes that we're missing here. I feel like this movie's definitely missing something. Um, you're going to save the stuff later on for the, the dance sequence, the, the pill sequence. You can talk about it now. I was kind of going to go over a few references and just talk about how <laughs> epic the whale be getting blown up sequences. And, the, and there's my favorite part in this whole movie is still yet to come. 
Okay, so I mean, some of the things here, it does result in good humor. Uh, the pill sequence is hilarious, where the daughter just takes the pill, gives it to all the girls. Just find any guy out there and tell him you're on the pill, and they all do this. And the one <laughs> girl, like you Can said, I just point out, Mallory's watching. Like she's seen this before, but she was sort of in the background, and then she saw this scene again. She's like, "That's not how the pill works." <laughs> <laughs> but Mallory only knows that since she got married. She does, two weeks of course. Ago. <laughs> it's only happened since we've been married. That's it. Uh, yeah, the, the the thing with them setting these kids up, like I like how mortified these kids are. And I think this is the other thing that misses for me because they let the kids do whatever they want and it seems to have different effects on different kids. Like you got the, the pill girl who's all, oh, this is great. Uh, and then you have the, the main boy and girl who are just mortified by all this, so much so that when they go to this dance, uh, and first of all, the parents have this completely opposite idea where they get them dressed up like tuxes and stuff like that. <laughs> and they show up and everybody else is wearing jeans and T-shirts and laughing at them. Uh, when they take the kids home and they're saying, hey, did you have a good time? They're like, yeah, I'm glad the night's over. <laughs> like, that's all <laughs> they can say is, yeah, that was brutal. Um, so the, the 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 sex scene, again, thinking this is supposed to be the parents using reverse psychology don't quite understand why they go from being mortified that these two 14-year-olds kissed to pushing them into the sack together. <laughs> kind of weird. Uh, I get the reference they're going for now, now knowing that this is autobiographical and the director is gay. For him saying, oh, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me. Again, I, I walked out of this, or not walked out, uh, turned it off. <laughs> I didn't go anywhere to see this. <laughs> you can't just had to fly to Australia just, just <laughs> to experience this uh, in the flesh. Um uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I get more where they're going with it. And again, I feel like that's where this movie kind of loses me is it's so much to me like, um, uh, I'm going to say like my opinion of Wonder Woman, where I really see the good movie that there was potential for here. And something just got mixed up. Something got lost and the, the, the wrong focus was given, not enough explanation given for things. But a lot of this movie to me is very similar to Boytown, which we covered last year. I mean, you picked an Australian movie that most Australians are like, oh yeah, I know that movie exists, but that's not exactly a classic. And <laughs> Boytown's a classic, shut up, Colin. Well, I walk out of both of them with the same opinion. Like there's so much stuff that I really love here, but there are a lot of things that don't work about the movie. But I think what does work really outweighs it. When, when, when this movie's over, like the whale sequence is incredible. That is the right ending for a movie like this. It is something that's so ridiculous it's um, another odd comparison here. The movie Magnolia uh, that uh, was uh, a very famous director now, uh, P.T. Anderson, he did There Will Be Blood and Boogie Nights and The Master and everything. To me, Magnolia is the best movie he ever made. Magnolia is just a straight character drama. And then it ends, sorry to spoil it, but it ends with Ben looking very confused. Sorry, Mallory's <laughs> in the background making noodles. Went- I'm trying to work out that's the signal third packet. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, distraction. Why are you monitoring You're monitoring what she eats so very closely lately, no, Ben. It's got nothing to do with that. It's just that I'm jealous because I can't eat the noodles and she loves the noodles. And I'm like, oh, it's your third packet. Good on you, but it's just a second. So, <laughs> as a married man now, Colin, what's mine is hers, right? So, you know, all the other way around. I don't know you've been married longer than I have. I mean, no, no. What's what's yours is hers. That's all there is to it. There's nothing of hers. To is commentate yours. on what's happening now with our life, Mallory's literally in the kitchen in a t-shirt and her underwear, and her brothers just walked into the kitchen, so she had to hide. Um, you know, another thing, like you're always telling us what Mallory's eating on the show. You're always telling us what whenever she's naked and whenever she what she does, her 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 lack of clothes around the house. Yep. 
Did you not see you that know picture I posted on social media of us naked? Oh no, we saw it. We saw it. We we, we commented on it on Double R Seventy. I look forward to it. And Melanie's dying in the background. She's choking on it. Oh, what's happening? Are you okay? <laughs> she sneezed and you ate what? See, this is, we're creating the Canadian version of Swingy Safari right now. This is a look inside Canadian life. She swallowed All the, weird... the seasoning. She swallowed the seasoning. <laughs> we are writing a movie right now. Mallory in her underwear, <laughs> brother in the room watching as she's making her third packet of noodles, swallowing the seasoning. What, is she snorting it? She, what well, is she doing? It's all over her shirt now. She's wearing a black shirt and there's this massive white powder stain on her shirt now. So, <laughs> so Ben is politely I'm covering so up Mallory's coke. Ben is covering up Mallory's cocaine habit by saying it's noodle seasoning. Look at, look at this. <laughs> yeah, that's coke. That's totally coke. We've been sniffing coke off each other the last two weeks since we got married. So... <laughs> You know, off their nude bodies. This is the Canadian swinging safari. <laughs> yeah, and can can we can we establish? Can you please tell our listener out there what I said in our wedding vows? Can we just like put this on yeah, firm okay, record so, right now? Uh, listeners, let's go back to the magical year of two thousand and eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> we spent an entire year dropping one movie quote. I don't like sand. It's coarse and it's rough and it's irritating and it gets everywhere. Uh, Ben's vows, his wedding ceremony, he says, I would like to quote one of the most romantic movie quotes of all time. And he says, I don't like sand. It's coarse and it's rough and it's irritating and it gets everywhere. <laughs> Did you know where I was going with that? Did you expect me to oh, say Oh, as that? soon as you said, I want to quote the most romantic movie quote of all time, I turned to Jamie, who's watching it on a different couch on her phone. They were wondering said, why you are on different accounts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, one of us has to be able to watch the kids. But uh, yeah, I turned to Jamie like, he's going to quote it. Sand is coarse and rough and irritating. And then you say, I don't like sand. It's coarse and it's rough. And I throw my arms up in the air. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I did it for you, Colin. It was only <laughs> Thank for you. you. Yeah. I'm so glad to know that your wedding vows were dedicated to me and not your wife. <laughs> it was all about my love for you, Colin. That's all it was. <laughs> now you also fit in Jurassic Park and Ferris Bueller in there too, which is and nice. And James Bond. Did you get the James Bond ones? I had two no, James no, no, Bond No, no, no. What was the James Bond one? I said that um, there's no point living if you can't feel alive. And then I ended it with, um, we have all the time in the world, which... I oh, then, okay. I was, was, I was cheering at that point. That's probably why I missed it. <laughs> which, which I have to be honest, I then did also because, like, you know, Mallory and a couple other people, are like, oh, what was that last one? And I'm like, let's ignore the fact that he says that after his wife has just been killed. <laughs> I, I just told you that uh, Noah and I were messaging before and after, before, during, and after your ceremony. We're basically doing a live, you know, chat commentary. <laughs> but one of the things we said because I he he didn't hear the quotes, so I told him what movie quotes there were. And I must have been too loud cheering at the sand one or something like that because I missed that. He said, well, at least he didn't say it's all the time in the world that we know Mallory's not coming back from the honeymoon. <laughs> but well, she funny. made it back. Yeah, she did. You saw her then. So she does exist, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. she's a massive coke fiend now, but she's, she made it back. <laughs> she's addicted to smack. She's married to me now. So what, what does she, what does she have to? Oh crap! I'm married to him. Let's get let's get on the drug mule. You know what? Ed, I thought that you coming here would make. I don't know, the Tasmanian a little more Canadian. But Mallory wandered around in her underwear and naked in front of her brother. You're just bringing the Tasmanian to Canada, aren't you? <laughs> that's all I got to do, bring the Tasmanian to Canada. That's that's my goal, basically. You've seen my desk plaque, the number one Tasmanian <laughs> podcast host in Tasmania. Um, not, not that... Uh, not- 
not that hard. Swing, swinging safari though. Whale blows up. Brilliant yeah. end in the movie. Very much like Magnolia, which I won't spoil, but Magnolia will randomly end with Does the uh, whale something... blow up in Magnolia or no, something even crazier, but it, you know, living creatures falling from the sky. That's all I'll say. Uh, <laughs> great ending. So this, it reminded me of Magnolia. Just let's, have, let's go with the most absolute insane ending you can think of. Uh, but I mean, I, I like wh- what I think they were going for in the background of this movie. I just feel like the execution is so all over the place and the loudness and the craziness does great on you after a while. Like I went from writing down the reason, one of the reasons I had so few notes from this movie, part of it, you helped clear up a lot of things I didn't understand what the references were. <laughs> the other part being is that I found it so much funnier when it was fresh and in the first 20 minutes and it was just one crazy thing happening after the other, one crazy one liner after the other. And then when you go through another hour of that and there's the only time you slow down is when you get to these two kids, it gets to be a bit much. And I also feel like the adults get lost in this movie considering this is set up and it's called Swinging Safari and it's really set up about how this will cause problems in the marriages. The second half of this movie has nothing to do with the adults and it barely has anything to do with the kids too. I mean, it just, it, it all just gets so mixed up, but I really liked these adult characters and where I felt like they were going with them. And then they just sort of end it. But again, maybe that's the point of the movie that the seventies is just so crazy that, you know, you don't think too much. And that, and that's again, like how I interpret it and how I can enjoy it. And I, I don't know, maybe this is an Australian thing that, and like, we'll see it with the Canadian movies as well. Like you brought up boy town. Like I can watch that from start to finish and love every moment of it and appreciate it. Still see exactly what you say when it comes to problems with it. But I don't know. It's just kind of one of those ones where I can just enjoy it and love it for what it is. And maybe it's just because I know our humor and I, I grew up with it. So I understand it. I don't know. Like maybe that's Mallory's in the background. Right? I going, yep, yep. That's it. That's it. That's exactly it. So um, uh, every, every time we talk about boy town, all I can think about is cellulite lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Special time of the month. <laughs> well, we, we created a honeymoon playlist while we were driving around and I did include a couple of boy town songs on there, including the do <laughs> nice. me, Benny, do me. Do me, do me, Benny. Yeah, and Mallory sings that song sometimes when she wants. Coke. Don't tell me when she sings it. One <laughs> time we're recording, you just start hearing in the background, "Do me, Ben." I'm like, "Come on, gotta go." Uh, <laughs> uh, Mallory's carrying her noodles right now. She's trying not to laugh and drop a so noodle. That- so, so now we've we've also decoded what our wives do when they want sex. Yours says, do me, babe, do me, Benny, do me. Mine just simply texts me, call, and I'm watching John Wick. <laughs> what do you mean when your wife wants sex? You walk into the house and she wants sex. You, you look at her, she wants sex. You, you bloody, you're at work, she wants sex. Like, your wife is worse than I am. Come on. What does that tell you about how pleased my wife is? Well, I don't know. She's always wanting it. Like, you know. <laughs> Maybe that tells you also not pleased she is. You've only had three kids and two of them came out at once. So you've only had sex <laughs> twice. <laughs> Jesus, Colin. Pleasure your wife. <laughs> well, maybe if you were pleasuring your wife more, she wouldn't be I snorting so much cocaine. Wife. She's satisfied. She's eating noodles. She's taking out cocaine in the last two weeks. Your pleasure. It's not noodles. Stop calling it noodles. We know what it is. She's well, high as a kite right now. <laughs> Stop talking about a honeymoon and sex, you dirty perv. <laughs> you don't appreciate the stories, Jamie Wood. Swinging <laughs> Safari. Um... <laughs> we are living out Swinging Safari right here. <laughs> I'm telling you, when you come over, bring your keys. Uh... <laughs> 
just don't bring the children's keys. That gets awkward. Um, <laughs> wow, that joke failed. Um, so um, as we get to the whale exploding, um, I, I just I still don't know why I like that moment so much in the cast. Smells like prawns. That can't be good. Um, I love it when they're like Jack Thompson's getting the demolition guy. You got Dimitri's demolition. And the guy's like, yeah, piece of piss. Such an Australian thing to say. Um, co- couple of um, like other references to like they mentioned a couple of sporting things here. So they're talking about rugby and they're like, I don't understand the Springboks are the best team in the world. Just want to watch rugby. Like I'm guessing that was when they were banned because of apartheid. Um, and then earlier on the um, Ashiketi talks about Yvonne Goolagong, uh, who I'm, you're a, are you well, a tennis fan? You know pardon you. What did I say wrong? I don't know. I don't know. Whatever you, the name you just said. Sounded Yvonne dirty. Goolagong. That's what? a name. <laughs> Is I'm it? not being racist. That's a name. <laughs> Um, she was like the first uh, indigenous athlete in Australia to like win something. Ma- I don't know. She she won like Wimbledon and she was like a big mm. player in the seventies, um, and very famous Australian athlete. Um, so a couple of those references. Um, I also like the the moment before they're about to blow up the whale and Jack Thompson. Oh, yes, and we are nineteen seventy five's tidy town winner. Like I don't know if Canada does that. Where like basically each year there's a, a city or a town that is awarded the tidy town. They're basically the cleanest town in the country because you've got no litter, basically. So <laughs> I remember there was somewhere in Tasmania one at once, and there's this big sign as you enter. It's like two thousand and three's Australian tidy town. It's like. Cool. (laughs) Winnipeg, believe it or not, Winnipeg multiple times has uh, won the award for most beautiful city in Canada. Uh, I think the only time the Blind Association of Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I will say though that the only time I think we ever qualified as tidy is the year we had the Pan Am Games. Like I remember, (laughs) you would go downtown. Like you don't want to go downtown. It is filthy. It's disgusting. It stinks. The year of the Pan Am Games, like, oh, it was pristine. It was beautiful. Well, that's Vancouver to me is the cleanest city I've ever been to in the world. Like, it's it's ridiculously clean. Um, but, like, Victoria's got this, you know, I guess habit of, like, oh, it's a beautiful city in that. But, like, basically from what I'm learning, the, the sketchy part of the city, it's not some suburb, it's it's downtown. Like, you go downtown yeah. and Mallory's like, oh, this is the dirty part of the city. Um, but uh, I don't mind it. It's pretty. I try to Google here, where is this... Uh, beautiful city in Canada list and all I've found here from 2019 Vancouver ranked most beautiful city in Canada fifth time fifth in the world um, fifth most beautiful in the world behind London Venice New York and Paris Sydney came in at ninth and Quebec City came in at 23 um, so there you go um yeah. You know what? I I found one here. I don't know if this is a year that Winnipeg was picked, but they're showing some pictures of Winnipeg. Like, man, that looks way better than what it looks like outside. <laughs> well, I found here slice.ca, the 20 of the most beautiful Canadian cities to live in. You have Ottawa, okay, uh, Quebec City, uh, Stratford, Ontario, Winnipeg at number four. Well, uh, why did Stratford get such a big laugh out of Mallory Stratford? Ma- Mallory's <laughs> in the background. No way at Winnipeg. Vancouver, number five. Calgary, number six. Saskatoon at number seven. <laughs> Saskatoon? Halifax at eight. Whitehorse at number nine. Victoria, number ten. Woo! Um, I mean, granted, there really only are ten cities in Canada large <laughs> enough to be qualified as cities. They put Kelowna. Kelowna's not good looking. Kelowna's boring. I've been there. Ah, uh, oh, Fredericton, New Brunswick. <laughs> I'm, I still can't get over Saskatoon. Yeah, have you been to Saskatoon? Oh yeah, 
I've not been to that place, Saskatchewan. <laughs> um, lucky man. So basically, they blow up the whale. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just get this sequence of everything. Everyone thinks it's fine. And then you just got guts flying down everywhere. You've got the kid that's impaled getting crushed. Um, you've got the, the giant tail smashing the house and blood on the carpet. Um, I, I love the bit where the two kids swim out to the water and you've just got a great white shark like smiling basically as it's about to eat them. Uh, this sequence is hilarious and it basically all comes down to Richard Roxburgh going, what happened in the 70s? We did. Um, and they're all like celebrating with blood all over them. Like it, like this it just sums up the whole movie. Just like fucking whale guts going everywhere, blood flying everywhere, guts flying everywhere. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. And then that's how the movie ends until we actually get the little flash forward to them on the beach in Fiji uh, and it's yeah. Tommy uh, where he returned to Wyoming Place tied to a hill's hoist and that's a, a clothesline um, to which it ends with the best part of the whole movie, Colin Hilding, Kylie Minogue's version of Chirpy Chirpy Cheap Cheap, the best song. It's brilliant. I love the credits. Oh, <laughs> massive hit around the world. I was going to ask a- about the soundtrack because – I mean, obviously, you know, Spirit in the Sky is like the first song in it. So everybody knows yep. that song. Yeah. But a lot of these other songs I wasn't familiar with at all. Are these primarily Australian songs? I think they are. I mean, I'm pretty sure Spirit in the Sky is an Australian song like as well. Um, but I, a lot of the other ones I don't really recognize, um, even though like a lot of 70s Australia, like there, was, there wasn't as much 70s references as I thought there would be with the music. Um, although there's one they say... Um, oh, did you get the tele- Telly Savalas mention when they're going through the yeah, records? Yeah, I got that. Yeah, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Like, hey, like, there's was a Bond he a reference. singer? Apparently. Um, <laughs> Telly Savalas <laughs> sings the, the hits. Um, we need oh, to we can do a Double R 7 episode on that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, th- so this, this song, this chirpy, chirpy, cheap, cheap song... Uh, it was originally by a Scottish band called Middle of the Road, where it went to number one in the UK. I'd never heard of the song before, but I fucking love this Kylie Minogue cover. It's brilliant. And it's such a, and like, after I watched a movie last night, Mallory's like, oh, I've got that stupid song stuck in my head. <laughs> Ooh, chirpy, chirpy, cheap, cheap, chirpy, chirpy, cheap, cheap, chirp. It's a great song. Anyway, um, that's Swinging Safari. Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the whale getting blown up. You like the whale getting blown up? The don't whale you? is great. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to add here that we haven't talked about. Uh, this movie, the second act is definitely the worst. The first act is, I think, all good. Second act is complete garbage. The third act, there's it's hit and miss. Um, but The Whale is great. Uh, and you did mention that this really happened. Uh, and I'm very curious to see the footage of this. Uh, it seems too crazy to be real. Uh, I also, I was kind of confused about, by this girl too. And again, maybe somebody who <laughs> is uh, <laughs> more of a thinker than I am, Ben, <laughs> apparently, oh, yes, can me, interpret for thinker. me. Uh, she seemed to be so, um, I don't know, uh, protective of animals. Like she wanted this turtle to be free. She didn't want them to drill through the turtle. But in the end, a dead whale being blown up was the whale being free. Yeah. Oh, that's that's one bit like like I I completely thought the same thing where like she's happy that it's free I understand that but at the same time it's like well you know like she goes off at them before when they're chopping it into bits yet when they blow it up it's fine yeah, yeah exactly I didn't quite get it uh, I I thought it might have even been meant as a joke where because it's not there like the, everything starts to fall I don't know thirty seconds later where she thought that oh it's actually free like they blew it up and it's just gone 
And then it just starts raining down. But it's not like she's crying after that or anything. It's just well, she's weird. happy. She's dancing in the blood. Yeah, it's 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 a weird movie. It sums up the 70s, I guess. A decade neither of us were alive for. Uh, we see remnants of it in the 80s, remnants of it in the 90s. Uh, there's enough to identify with in this movie. I think you don't have to be Australian, but it is bizarre. And it's such a simple movie. It's just, it's so bizarre. It's kind of like... Um... Goldmember, right? Like, I don't think Goldmember goes over the top with the 70s like they do in this. Like, Mike Myers just kind of does what he does. But, um, you know, like, I mean, this is the thing, right? We love a good nostalgia bait movie. We talked about in Wonder Woman, you know, that maybe that didn't mm-hmm. go as much as we thought it would have, but it still did enough to kind of get some bait. And you mentioned, like, the Goldberg. Like, this is the thing. Like, you always have these nostalgia baity movies. And this was couple of years ago now where maybe it wasn't as as big i mean it was kind of there but i guess kind of i feel it's taken off a little bit more recently so um yeah like i i, I feel my mum would have loved this movie i feel my mum would have, I, I don't know yeah. if my dad's seen this i really don't know i think i've told him i saw it and was like watch this movie you'll love it um but i definitely feel people of my parents age would appreciate this movie like mm-hmm. it's like if we we get the the 90s, early 2000s. Whoa, I can't wait for the early 2000s movies. Um, you know, all those nostalgic well, references of Limp Biscuit and stuff. Uh. Yeah, like um, there's a TV show. I mean, I mentioned the Goldbergs, you know. I mean, I, I have nostalgia for the things they reference in there, like Star Wars and Back to the Future. But I was too young during like the 80s to really remember what the 80s decade was like. But TV show Fresh Off the Boat that I mention a lot on here, that's a show that takes place in the 90s. And again, I love the nostalgia of that, though bring up Shaq Fu, you know, <laughs> and all these random things. And unless you're alive in the nineties, you're not going to get the jokes about it. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's kind of interesting. Like, cause like, you, I guess and just to let you know in the background, if you hear a random bird sound, my cat is that's going chirpy, crazy. chirpy, cheap, cheap. Yeah. That, we've got Kylie Minogue. She's about to perform. My cat is, li- <laughs> we literally cleaned the house the other day and I put all of his toys in this little basket. Now he's discovered where they all are. And he's going fucking crazy in this basket. <laughs> my cat is on smack, right? He now. got into Mallory's noodle stash. Yeah, Ma- got into Mallory's his noodles and now my cat is just going absolutely ridiculous in the background <laughs> he's like going crazy um yeah the nostalgia like i little things like when we watched sonic last year like you know that was like something you grow up and i got like so many of the references um and i mentioned summer heights high by chris Lilly. it's like wow that's just like exactly what high school was like in australia like you just got everything about it so when you have those movies that you really connect to and it's weird that i really connect and love this movie when i was you know a good well, I was born in 87, so I was nowhere near the 70s, basically. So, uh, And my parents themselves, like, they would have been um, Mel, Melly and, and Jeff's age in this movie. Well, that's was, that's why we get it, even yeah. though we we're raised in the 80s and 90s, because so, our parents were the kids in this movie. Yeah, 1975, this is set. So my mum was born in 1960 and my dad was born in 1961. So, like, they would have been 14 and 15 in this time period. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Fascinating, fascinating. Um, this movie, you mentioned before, like in terms of reviews, I, I remember looking up the reviews of this when it came out because, again, it didn't make much buzz in Australia at all. Um, and the and even the reviews that I've read sort of in the last 24 hours have all been pretty positive. I think The Guardian gave it like four out of five stars. Um, it's got 77% of Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, basically says that Swinging Safari gathers an entertaining ensemble to offer audiences a messy yet ultimately endearing comedy rich with period detail. It's interesting, like, we talked about Wonder Woman 84 that in 10 years' time I feel it's going to be a beloved movie. Um, mm-hmm. Australia's kind of odd. We don't really do this whole thing where all of a sudden a movie out of nowhere will become beloved. Like, there are some that I could mention, like... I feel like Romper Stomper wasn't that big at the time, but now everybody loves mm. Romper Stomper. Um, what was that? What about that Eric Banner one? Chopper? Oh, Chopper? no, Chopper was, Chopper was beloved the moment it came out. That's one we'll oh. definitely cover one year for sure. Um, 
the um was it two hands the Heath Ledger one I feel oh yeah that and, and now Rabbit Proof Fence is a movie that I remember we had to go see that in high school and like it was oh yeah I love that movie it was kind of like okay this is fine but now like everyone in Australia talks about um you know Rabbit Proof Fence is one an iconic Australian movie but like outside of those and generally it's a movie with a message in Australia we don't really have these like quirky silly movies like the Cable Guy for example now is generally beloved like. Like, I think this is a movie that I feel I would like to see in 10 years that people go, fuck, that was a good movie. Like, Boytown. Mm. I mean, it's been 15 years now since Boytown. People still don't remember that as a thing. Uh, there, actually, there was um, one Australian movie, Cracker Jack, I feel is a lot more beloved now than it was at the time, um, which is like a lawn bowls comedy. Um, so maybe this will get some love one day. I don't know. In terms of box office, there's not a whole lot I can tell you. Box office mojo has it as it made $1.2 million in Australia. That's all I can tell you. I can't even tell you how much it costs to make. Um, it, actually, we do have Australian weekend here. Uh, so it was opened 15th in the Australian box office that weekend. It made 418000 which is pretty decent for an Australian movie on an opening weekend. Like, I think we talked about this last year. I feel that, like, you know, we're not the States. You're not going to have a – I don't even think the highest grossing yeah. film in Australia has made $100 million. You know, we're, we're a pretty small market. So opening that weekend, Maze Runner, The Death Cure – made $2.7 million, which is pretty good. Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle was in its fourth week, made $2.2 million. Greatest Showman, $1.6 million. Other movies opened that weekend. The Commuter made 888000 Shape of Water made 422000 And Marion, The Witch's Flower made 154000 oh, Jamie. Jamie loves that movie. Yeah. Also, the last movie, The Star, coming in at 44th, made $40 that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 made $80 that weekend. So <laughs> good for you, that movie. Um, plot keywords or user reviews first? Oh, Let's go. The plot keywords are spectacular. Okay. <laughs> Wife swapping, urinating on a girl month. Here we go. Yes. <laughs> Featuring Swinging Safari. That's oh. it. Um, child sees adults having sex months. Featuring Tideland, Swinging Safari, Pappy, and Noir Trois. That sounds too French for me. Uh, <laughs> is there Child on Fire month? No, there's Impaled by Umbrella month. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Featuring Swinging Safari. Okay. Can we uh, add to these? Reference to Engelbert Humperdinck month. Uh, <laughs> featuring Swinging Safari, The Shocking Furry Fandom Conversation, Yes, Really?, Open All Hours, episode A Nice Cozy Little Disease, and The Carol Burnett Show, episode 4.17. Uh, I also have Australia Month, featuring Mad Max Fury Road, Aquamarine. Oh, I watched that one. Uh, Rocket Man, very Australian Elton John, and Point Break, uh, very Ooh. Australian Point Break. We're doing that, aren't we? Uh, well, is that the old one or the new one they have that's there? The, that's the old one. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know what's Australian about that. Yeah. Surfing? Can you hear the children dragging everything across the floor upstairs? Yeah, I could hear that. I just thought that was Jamie's <laughs> and her... <laughs> her toys. Yeah. <laughs> her rabbit. Um, teen Spooning Month. I'm down for that. Yeah. Featuring... Oh, Sweeney Safari is the only one. Boo! <laughs> Free the Turtle stuff. Month. <laughs> Featuring but, you know, Safari. I'm- I think if we were to add something on here, we'd have to do. We, we really should start the plot keyword of people burning. Oh, okay. So I, I, maybe it have to be 
So Swing Safari, oh, you click edit, Pro. and then you've got to sign in. Okay. So ah. That will, that will, the, let's let's come let's up with this. something that only is Swinging Safari. We're, we're going to do this every episode now. Okay. Uh, what Done. is something that can only identify as Swinging Safari? Burning children. No? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know there's going to be more of those. Um, uh, ooh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, uh, um, uh, ice cream hats. Ice cream helmet. Ice cream, <laughs> ice cream fucking bucket helmets. Bucket. Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> That one. Uh, <laughs> I want to see you wearing an ice cream uh, container on your head next episode, Colin Hilding. <laughs> um, the user reviews. Uh, now, I want to go to one star, but I just I love this first one here before I change it via stars. 10 out of 10. If you weren't there, it will make no sense. If you were, you will pee yourself. <laughs> uh, one star reviews. Um, just awful. All over the shop. Awful, terrible movie, one and a half laugh-free hours. To which <laughs> it literally the only words are, I really wanted this to be good. Worst Australian movie ever. You have not I seen I like this one. one. Yeah, go for it. Bookaholic wrote, nope. <laughs> I was a tween, then a teen in the 70s. I love seeing homegrown Australian movies. None of that helped me enjoy this film. The design is great. The cast is full of great actors. There's some good themes in there somewhere, but the end product is a big smelling decaying beach whale. <laughs> Well, you have the headline here. This movie sinks far more than any dead whale. Uh, <laughs> dreadful, absolutely terrible, worst movie I've seen in years and years. Terry, very terrible, tasteless and painful, stinking safari. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, what are the 10-star the reviews then, I feel? Um, there are only six 10-star reviews. If you weren't there, it will not make sense if you were. You'll pee yourself. Absolute Aussie gold. Best cinema roller coaster in a long time. Long, a long, long time. Funniest and best Oz movie I've seen in a long time. Stephen Elliott is a 21st century Frederico Fellini. Okay. I like <laughs> Frederico Fellini. Do we know who that is? Uh, I've heard the name. I will Google it. Yep. I, I mean, I know right off the top of my head. Uh, and Italian if you give me a second, screenwriter known for his distinctive style, which blends fantasy and Baroque images and earthiness. He's recognized oh, as one of the- exactly like Swinging Safari. Oh, yeah. I mean, famous films as La Dolce Vita, Eight and a Half, La Strada, and Amacord. Yep. Cool. Uh, all right, Colin, what are you doing with this movie? I, I mean, I'll just say right now, I'm still buying it. I bought it when I reviewed it three years ago, and I'm still buying it today. So nothing's changing for me. I told Jamie right before we started recording this. Well, I told her after I watched the movie, I'm like, that is one really strange movie. And then before we started recording this, I was saying, I honestly don't know what I'm going to do about this. I'm thinking I might bin the movie, but maybe Ben can talk me into a rent. I don't think you have to talk me into it. I think that there's a lot of really interesting things here that we covered. And there is more good in this movie than there is bad. It's just there's not enough for it to amount to be a good movie. So I'm going to rent it. I was coming in on a potential... Uh, how would I say this potential bin with uh, affection for it. <laughs> I think I've used that before, uh, but I'm up to a rent with some disdain. <laughs> so, okay. I'll have to ask you the question. This or boy town. A boy town's definitely more enjoyable overall. It's easier to watch. So I'll, I'll go with boy town over this. Mallory in the background is yelling boy town. <laughs> <laughs> And she just said, population five. She's singing the song, but not the song I want her to sing now that we're finishing this episode. Special time of the month. <laughs> uh, so what are we doing next week, Colin? I believe we're doing Dead Ringers. I know nothing about yes. this movie, so please tell me about Dead Ringers. Uh, well, Dead Ringers is uh, a non-Canadian actor, Jeremy Irons, 
who is playing twins, twin versions of himself. And it is, uh, I guess, a sci-fi horror movie from maybe Canada's most known director worldwide, David Cronenberg. Uh, I, going all the way back to the first year we did this, several David Cronenberg movies I wanted to do. Uh, he's kind of like a really, really bizarre uh, sci-fi director. He did The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. That's mm-hmm. probably what he was most well-known for, at least around this time period. But I want to do Eastern Promises, a movie he made with Viggo Mortensen, Existence, a sci-fi movie he did. All these other David Cronenberg movies I wanted to do. And then every time I looked up, you know, best Canadian movies of all time, this movie Dead Ringers kept coming up, which is one of the rare David Cronenberg movies I haven't actually seen. So this is, I guess, the one that's considered by most to be David Cronenberg's best movie. Uh, from what I understand, it is definitely out there. <laughs> it's, I don't know how I'm going to feel about it because I haven't seen it before. But uh, I was compelled. I'm like, we have to do a David Cronenberg movie on our second year here. And if I was going to pick one, I didn't want to just pick one that maybe some people have seen and some people like. I'm like, let me pick the one that everybody says is the best. To which apparently they're making a TV series starring Rachel Wise this year. I know. Um, Looks exciting. We'll- have to watch that if we like this, but I don't. I mean, we did The Lion King. Uh, we've done Batman. <laughs> we've done a, I'm thinking of Jeremy Irons movies um, that we've done. Oh, I thought you were just. You know what? We've done The Lion King, so nothing's going to be worse. <laughs> I like Jeremy Irons. He's Scar oh, and Alfred and shit. So good for Jeremy Irons. The diehard um, villain. He's... Oh, that's right. He's um. Yeah, I always forget he's uh, Gruber's brother, yeah. right? Hmm. The underrated Die Hard Simon movie. Simon Die Hard oh, with love Vengeance. The, love that movie. Love Die Hard with Vengeance. Um, so that's coming next week. Dead Ringer. Uh, will we have a movie review of Greenland beforehand, or have we already done that, yes. Colin? I don't know. We've. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's people have listened to it. By the time you've heard this, I'm thinking. By the time we're recording Maybe. this, we haven't done it yet. But uh, if it's already <laughs> been out, I hope you enjoyed it. If it's set to be yes. released in the coming days, we hope you enjoy it. Um, but, Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler, can he get a good end of the world movie? Um, and How much what, older can he possibly look? Very old. And then maybe we will do that other Gerard Butler movie I watched, which I keep forgetting the name of it. Um, Finding <laughs> Maverick or something. Or other. <laughs> and what's her name? Marina Baccarin. I like her. So. Oh, uh, she's great. She in, is she in Greenland? She's the main girl. She's the. Oh, now I'm watching it. She's the mum. Um, she doesn't age. She, like, has an age oh. today. She's great. Why isn't she more of a thing? You know what? Everybody knows her now from the Deadpool movies, but, like, if you really want to see her at her best, I'm not even going to say Serenity, Firefly, the, you know, the cult Joss Whedon TV show, which she came known from. There's a, a remake of an old 80s TV series called V where she played, like, oh, the yeah, female alien brilliant. queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing in that show. I knew her from that because when I watched Homeland, I was like, hey, it's the chick from V. Um, mm-hmm. And then she was also in Gotham, I think, from memory for a while. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, she's she's just one of these ones that I always see in things. I'm like, she's really good. Why mm-hmm. is she not more of a thing? So Let's give her a month. We'll start with Greenland. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Followed up with V. And, um, and Season two of V. <laughs> she was actually, okay, no, she still is. Okay, I didn't realise that. So Gotham, it clicked in my mind that she was with uh, Commissioner Gordon, right? Ben McKenzie. Mm-hmm. She's married to Ben McKenzie. They're still together. What? Yeah. Did not know Crazy. that. Crazy! Wow, you, lucky man and and lucky Wait, so woman you, too. <laughs> you tell me she's off the market. Yeah, I know, right? And so is Ben McKenzie. That makes me sad. Oh. <laughs> ben well, McKenzie month. Can we do that? It's all TV shows. <laughs> but um, we'll just do the OC. Uh, let's see here. No, he's done some movies. Uh, nothing good. Oh, I was in <laughs> eighty-eight minutes. Oh, Batman Year One. He was the voice. 
Uh, so what, he played Commissioner Gordon and Batman? Jesus. Make up your mind. I would, no, seriously, though, Ben McKenzie, we could do an episode of the OC, Southland and Gotham. I mean, all three great shows. So, yeah. And Jag. He was in Jag for an episode, Colin. I like Jag. Jag, woo. Did you watch Jag? I've seen one or two episodes here and there. I used to love Jag. And then NCIS became a thing and everyone forgot about Jag. I'm like, boo, Jag's better. Um, We want planes. Yeah. (laughs) Planes and lawyers. What's his name? (laughs) Harm. I like that guy. And was it Kathleen? What was the main girl in that? Kathleen McKenzie? Bell. Bell. Catherine Bell. From, um, yeah, the Bruce Almighty. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Jag. Bring back Jag. Jag. <laughs> Bring back Jag. <laughs> Those are the good old early. There's some nostalgia for you. I used to watch Jag, Judging Amy, Providence, CSI when it first started, and What's His Face Didn't Annoy Me. Um, oh, good old days. Early 2000s. Classic television. Uh, tune in next week for Dead Ringers. And we hope you've enjoyed the only podcast probably in the history of the world that has ever done an episode on Swinging Safari. And we are proud of it. Uh, My name is Ben. And what a fucking fizzer. And my name is Colin. Chirpy, chirpy, cheep, cheep. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.